This is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. With your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. And we're live, people. We'll do it live. How are you, everybody? Welcome back to uh, Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk number 11. As always, I'm surrounded by a bevy of beauties, including Nick Morentis, David Ladd, John Strong, Bruce Moore, Richard Lorbieski, Curtis Boyle, Bill Noble, Barry Nelson, and Richard Cavell are all here. Uh, we might have a few people join along the way randomly. We might have a few people fall off out of boredom. You just never know. So um, we're back for another week. A lot of cool things have happened this week in the world of Color Computer. Um, the Coco Crew podcast dropped this week. Another great episode of the Coco Crew podcast. Yay, Coco Crew. Um, lots of things going on in the Facebook group. Lots of things going on on uh, the Coco mailing list and so on and so forth. So Hello, everybody. How are we? Hello to my distinguished panel. Hello, hello. Good day. Hello. And have you guys have a have have you guys had a great week this week? Yes. Yes. Yeah, nice. I've had a pretty good one myself. <laughs> and did you have a cocoa week at all this week? Did you do anything cocoa this week? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cur- Curtis is using his optimized compiled responses right. yep. here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> So, yeah, hey, you been... could be using a soundboard and spitting out the response by pressing a button. <laughs> hey, Siri, tell David to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, send off a DDoS to David Ladd. <laughs> uh, it's been a good week. Um, I actually started doing a little bit of blogging yesterday. I got back into trying to work on some of my font coding. Um, got that tweaked. I actually wanted to record a video showing off the latest progress, and so now I'm running into VCC issues. So once again, the universe is screwing with me, not letting me do something I want to do. I'm so used to the universe having it in for me, um, you know, and somehow I'm still here, and the universe is still there too. We'll find a way to make peace one of these days, but I just... So what's, no- what's- What's the VCC issue you're having? Uh, I don't, I don't, don't get me started right now. I, I just, it's, it's just, I don't know, some weird back buffer memory error. I put a screenshot on Facebook. I put a message in the mailing list. I don't know. It's, it's, it's started getting me this weird error message when David showed me how to connect it to VCC and I can't get rid of the, rid of the weird error message now. And the problem is if I try to move um, VCC to a different window on my other monitor, the screen freezes and it doesn't work. So it's just something mm. odd. Um, I've uninstalled it, reinstalled it. I've moved it to a different folder thinking maybe I had bad config files. I've got a clean config, same issue. So now it's just, I don't know. VCC doesn't like me today and it just really screwed up my plans to record a video. So I have to, I'm going to have to change everything to record differently, which is just a project. Um, but whatever. That's enough of my venting. Um, aside from VCC giving me these issues. uh, Yes, I'll get there. Yeah. I'm having a problem with MAME now too because I don't know how to save in MAME because when I open up a floppy disk in MAME, MAME wants to open it as read only so i don't know how to get mame to save to a floppy disk and so maybe you guys can help me out there yeah is anybody working with that saving stuff in mame disk images? I, I have contributed to the mame uh driver for the color computer a few times mm-hmm. um i compile and maintain the mame uh build a uh, main build for the mac os x and i have pretty good knowledge of mame so i should be able to help you out there okay 
Um, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I know the name is getting ready to be re- re-released again with the um, speech sound pack update. So hopefully something, you know, my whole thing is, is I don't want to have to find strain XYZ of this fork off of this branch on this dead end road to get a program that works. I would just like crap to work. You know what I mean? And I know I'm being a little bit snarky here, but I'm not technical. I'm not a compiler. I don't feel I should have to compile a program for it to work and just do its job. And, you know, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm just being a bitch. Who knows? But <laughs> well, I think I'm, Nick I'm just, and I would agree with you on that. I'm in a crappy mood. I'm sorry. Wait, Curtis, what are you agreeing with? with this is one of the reasons why I took to uh, to maintaining my own build of Mame for the yeah. Mac OS X. Yeah. Because I found that that Mame would go, you know, features would go in and out of regression as far as working or not working. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. what I do is I find one that's stable. I build it and then I post it on Tim Linder's uh, website okay. for Mac OS X. So you know, and then you know, I'll, I'll I'll test it thoroughly, go through, and I'll go through like there's a couple dozen systems I go through and I do regression testing. If there's minor bugs, I'll go and and fix the bugs, then redo it, and then redo it, and then I'll finally I post a, a a binary for Mac OS X, which I redo like once every year to six months. I'll mm. go and release another one. So. I mean, it's nice that you do that, and it's. I guess it's 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 a double edged It's it's a two sided coin. It's on the one hand, it, you could say maybe it's unfortunate or just uh, you know frustrating that you have to go through those steps. But on the other side of that same coin, Mame is a big picture, and so it's because of the the size and scope of Mame and Mess. I, I understand some of the reasons why, but uh, I I have always enjoyed VCC for what I was doing because it just worked for what I needed. And now that it's not working, I'm just frustrated. So I'm venting and I'm taking it out on the world right now. So I apologize. Um, it, would but, be nice, it would be nice if we had somebody. I've always said this. The main group, all they do is they just, they're constantly in development mode. There is no release branch. Okay. What I've done is I've created a release branch mm-hmm. for Mac OS X. It'd be nice if we had somebody else that would do a release branch of MAME for, for Windows, let's say. So, you know, and do the same sort of thing I do. Build it, test it, retest it, get it to a point, get one of the releases that, you know, the, the version numbers that's working and stable. Mm-hmm. Might not have, you know, the, the latest, greatest, you know, updates, but it's a stable release and they can post the binary somewhere. Right, like this, the Coco MAME, the one that's just been proven to work for what we need it for, for the Coco, as opposed well, to every I, single machine on the planet. Well, I think you know some of, having it tested for some of the more popular machines. That, that in addition, I don't just have a Coco. I have an Atari 800, the Commodore 64, a couple other machines. Yeah, and it'd be good to have it tested for like a few dozen of the more popular machines that people are constantly using. Right, 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 right. All right, but let's move on from that. Now, I appreciate that. Maybe we'll bring we'll bring that topic up later. But I want to get into well, it's still related to Mame. So now that we're talking about Mame, let's talk about the. Um, the announcement um, and uh, that Tim Linder posted to both the mailing list and to the uh, Facebook group that the speech and sound cartridge or the speech sound pack or the SSC, whatever you want to call it, that device is now emulated to work with MAME, with, with a multi-pack interface and will be bundled into the next release. I forgot the version number of that, but the, the short story of that announcement is, is that we now have an emulated version of the speech and sound pack and um, that's pretty awesome for anybody who knows what that means. And we'll get into that in a minute. But, yeah, that's that's the lead story that I want to run with. 
it's the first time the speech and sound pack has ever been emulated. It is. It is. It this is, is on any any emulator. Yeah. This is the first time in history that something like this has happened, and um, you know, I, I to me, I think it's a crowning achievement, only because of the fact that it's been 35 years and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. It just happened, you know. And, and I didn't understand the intricacies of that card when I first asked those questions, you know, because I kept thinking, well, man, we can emulate the Coco. Uh, other people can emulate sound chips on MAME and things like that. Why can't we just emulate the speech sound cartridge? And it turns out they're, the, the main reason probably is the, the little middleware chip that's between the sound hardware and the Coco. What is that called? A PIC, Programmable Interrupt Controller or something like that? Yeah, it's almost a computer in its own right. Yeah, so there's a there's a device inside a speech sound card that makes it proprietary, and for whatever reason, that device, that PIC controller, whatever it's called, that has been the the hurdle to get this thing emulated because somebody had to reverse engineer that, and it's a proprietary thing. And I guess it's finally happened, and so I'm I'm glad that it's happened because I'd like to go back and record a bunch of videos I did. Um, on speech sound pack, like through MAME now, just to get a better quality picture, you know, nice clean picture. Uh, I'm, Curtis and Nick and I did a, a showcase on speech sound stuff like a year ago, and I had to do this whole ghetto recording setup where I had to have my microphone on and the speakers on my TV, and so they could hear what was happening, and there was a lot of echo and things like that. So it just caused me to have to lower my production value to, to make that video. I'd love to go back and make that video again. Um, just n nice and clean and pristine, you know, and maybe add on to it and just, you know, talk about the fact that we can now emulate it and everything else. It's, it's a pretty cool achievement. Um, at the end of the day, what we discovered with the speech sound pack was as good as it is and as cool of an idea that it is, there was really only about two games that really took advantage of music on it. And the rest of them just added speech. And 35 years later, just that lame robot voice in a game just doesn't do anything for me. So that's not a huge wow know, factor cool. today. You know, it was kind of cool back then. But it, I'm sorry, were it's you just... I was just saying it's, it's neat to listen to. I mean, you know. It, it is, but it's not as cool as having multi-voice music or sound effects. You know, it's just the same voice over and over again. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Ron Klein's True. just here at uh, Ron, Ron Klein says, I wish I could stay, but I need to leave soon. I've uploaded a Windows 64-bit version of MAME 0-187 pre-release from Git to Facebook. I've got uploaded to a couple of disk images and test SSC as well as the sample command line to launch MAME using the Coco 2 driver with SSC support. So uh, Ron Klein says he just uploaded that to Facebook. So I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to get that from Facebook, but I'll try that right now. Thank you, Ron Klein, for doing that, by the way. Um, let me try switching over to Facebook right now. But yeah, the speech sound cartridge was Tandy's attempt at doing what like John Strong and John Linville are doing now, which is, um, okay, so here's a couple of files here that, that Ron Klein just downloaded. So let's go to download. And I'm going to just download this to my desktop for right now because I'm not sure what's... Uh, you know what? This is going to be too much of a project for me to try to do while we're live streaming this. Unfortunately, if we had more time to prepare and test and, and figure it out, um, we'll do that. So um, on that same subject, though, I spoke to Tim Lindner this morning. And Tim is wanting to talk about this, too. But Tim's not available until tomorrow. And so we're going to figure out some time where we can get back together with Tim. And then depending on when he gets back to me tonight, we can either do another live stream or maybe we'll just pre-record it. And it'll be a kind of um, 
interview slash review of because Tim wants to show us how to compile MAME. He wants to show us how to set this up, and he also wants to show off the whole speech sound pack. So it's probably best maybe to do it with Tim, and we can pre-stage and pre-test what the thing is going to look like before we go live or before we record it. I'm going to just, you know, fluster cluck my way through trying to set this up right now, and I don't want to try to do that while we're going live. Um, but Ron's saying, the version of MAME I compiled is only for legacy mess drivers only. If you want the full version with MAME, which includes arcade support too, you can grab the regular binary. Okay, so he's already starting to lose me. <laughs> um, uh, what he's saying here, he said MAME has been merged. MAME and MESS were merged. MESS is a, an emulator that used to be a separate branch. It was part mm-hmm. of MAME, but only emulated computer systems. Right. Computers. And home consoles, yeah. Yes. And, and some home consoles, right. So MAME also emulates all of the coin-operated arcade machines. Right, yeah, so yeah I'm saying, aware of that. Yeah. Right, so he's saying that the build that he did, he only built the home computers and the and the consoles and not the arcade machines into his build. Okay, right, 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 right. It's gotcha. a stripped-down version. So it doesn't right. have, for instance, doesn't have the stand-up arcade Pac-Man. Right, or, right, or and, the, and, that, and that almost sounds like that would make more sense for what we would need it for, and that might be what... And, and so, by, by the same note, so Ron Klein is the person who has made the Cocoa Pie, which is the Raspberry Pi packaging that has, you know, optimized Cocoa emulation, which I believe is all based off of MAME slash MESS. Um, and so Ron has also said that the next update of MAME that will also be updated in the Cocoa Pie image will now support this natively too. So it'll become a little bit less of a um, configuration issue for somebody who's maybe not as technical. I actually do want to learn it uh, out of curiosity. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm somewhat technical, but I'm, I'm more lazy than I am technical. And I would just like to be able to double click something and have it work and not have to do a command line and mount this and add this and slash that and plus this and ampersand that. Um, I'm a big fan of just click and go. Um, and I know when you're dealing with, with, you know, kind of retro tech, sometimes you have to be a little bit more technical than that. But, um, I, I I'm lazy. I want it easy. I want, <laughs> I want my entertainment spoon fed to me. <laughs> the, so. the, the, the main windows build and the one for Mac also, uh, Mac has a build that interfaces with what's called SDL. Um, I forget what that stands for, but something like uh, simple direct media layer or something like that. Um, but it's a, a, a user interface similar to DirectX. Okay. Okay. Um, SDL also operates on Windows. I believe the MAME for Windows also has a, uh, a Windows user interface that it can build and that it can get that, that will run. But even with the SDL layer, um, when you run MAME these days, it actually comes up with a user interface. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you know if you know a couple key presses, you can get to the menus and you can mount and unmount floppies and do all that stuff with the thing running. Mm-hmm. without touching the command line. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing now mm-hmm. to with limited actually, success. Actually, helped me get that last night, actually. <laughs> yeah, like I think in mine I have to press um, scroll lock to go from full keyboard emulation to partial emulation. Then I can press tab, yep. bring up a menu. Yeah, I mean, that part I'm used to. Um, you know, but uh, again, like it would be nice if I could just double click the cocoa from the first menu and it automatically has speech sound pack built into it and I can just load a disc and go. Um, that's where I'd like well, to once, see it end up. Once you set configuration, MAME remembers the configuration. Mm. So I, I think you might have to 
program it to run with a, a command line option write config in the shortcut that you write. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it writes the config back. But if you put that, which by the way, on my app that I build for Macintosh, I make that as the default. Okay. So now if you run it with a write config on your short, uh, that minus write config, and then you run it, when you change a configuration in, for instance, the color computer or any system that you're running, mm. when you exit that system, it saves all of your settings, what disks you had mounted, okay. what packs you plugged into the multi-pack, all that okay. stuff gets saved. So next time you launch it, it comes back even with the same floppy disks mounted. Okay, well, that's good. That, so that, I still so think you, they need to go back and, and put in a real GUI, though. Like, if you looked at MacMain back in probably about the point six point seven era, it had a full GUI, just like VCC or something. You could just select things nice and easy just with the mouse. And I really think they need to put that back in at some point. I mean, there are well, third-party third ones, too. I built a GUI for the earlier... I built a GUI for the earlier main on the Mac that was built in TCLTK, and I maintained that for a while. But um, I don't know if you've used MAME recently, but the GUI, the GUI interface that is built into MAME has progressed quite a bit. Yeah. To the yeah. point where I've, I've decided that I am not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to try and enhance the GUI interface now that's in MAME, um, set defaults that are reasonable, etc., on my Mac build, rather than maintaining a separate TCLTK front end that I had built previously. That's cool. That would be good progress. So Ron Klein said something to the point where he said, "I would be." It, it, um, it says, "I would be happy to join another chat soon and do this as a live show for everyone to see." I don't know if you're talking about today, um, Ron, but if you're able, if you, you're going to probably need to add me as a Skype contact if we're not already Skype contacts, and we would get you in on Skype and you could do a screen share. We would love to have that. I know it's kind of last minute, um, um, but yeah. But yeah, if you could if you could get that going today, Ron, that would be great. If not, we're also I'm, I'm going to plan something tomorrow with Tim Lindner to be determined on the time. And if you want to maybe join that one, either way, that would be kind of cool. Um, yeah, sorry about that. So yeah, um, I, I don't I don't want to get too deep into the nuts and bolts of 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 how Mame works and how Mame doesn't work right now. I'd rather just kind of focus on the celebration of the fact right now that we have this speech sound pack emulation which is great, and I can't wait to try it, and we'll definitely show it off, and hopefully either tomorrow or by next week's Coco Talk, we'll have a full proper demonstration of it. It's still new. It's it's literally late-breaking, groundbreaking stuff. Um, but yeah, the Speech Sound Pack was a really neat uh, peripheral accessory for the color computer that I don't think ever truly lived up to its full potential. Um, but it, it did add music. It did add music, sound effects, and synthesized voice to the Coco, giving it what it never had. Um, there there are a few games, as you said, that, that use it to, to produce music. Mm -hmm. I've, I've dabbled with programming on it a little bit, because I actually have a speech sound pack, so I've been able to futz with it for many years now. And I, it's definitely true that it had much more potential than it was ever used for. You know, but it, it, it's... But... Go ahead. It never worked on a Coco 3 without mod. Yeah, uh, that's a big problem. It doesn't work at double speed. Oh, uh, okay. Actually, without hardware works, modifications. It works fine. I have an unmodified speech sound pack. I have used it for many years on my Coco 3. If you're running single so speed, it, yes. Yeah, single speed, yeah. yes, but double speed, it it, uh, it gets a little quirky. Yes, but the thing is, what I've done, 
rather than modify my speech sound pack, which I may modify it now because they've come out with another simpler modification of just changing a capacitor rather than changing one of the transistors in the pack. Um, it changes the value of the capacitor. It makes it work correctly on, on both uh, double speed and single speed mode, at least within some degree because it still double clocks it. But um, I changed the driver, for instance, in OS9 so that while it's doing critical operations with the pack, it slowed down to single speed mode and then sped, sped back up when it was done addressing the pack. Yeah, that's that's what I had done too. That just says it's, it's a pain and it shouldn't have been necessary to do that. Seems like the Coco has had a history of needing some type of hack job somewhere <laughs> or another. Uh, there was always one. <laughs> uh, I should mention with the speech sound pack drivers being released for, for MAME, one thing I'm hoping, like a lot of people back in the day didn't develop for it because you needed a multi-pack and the speech sound pack to program for it with a disk drive. I mean, you didn't want to do off cassette. So I'm hoping now that MAME and MESS have it that more people will fiddle with it and maybe we'll get some new games and stuff that actually support it because you can test it now without having right. to set up a pack and all this other crap. Right, right, right. I, well, that's exactly it, Curtis. That's the whole reason why I actually, once I noticed that it was around... I downloaded it right away and I it <laughs> just to actually have that speech sound pack. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're listening to Coco Talk, chances are you're interested in the Color Computer. If you'd like to find out more about the Color Computer, then visit my Coco Links page at imacoconut.com. There you will find communities, podcasts, YouTube channels, project sites, blog sites, hardware, software, buy, sell, trade, you name it. So for all things Color Computer, visit imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, coconut. Dot com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. That's awesome. Which well, means that it could it could end up in something like the FPGA project or the, uh, the Coco Deck Nano uh, could end up in uh, other emulators. It could even be hardware cloned down the road, possibly. So. Uh, Let well, me put it in actuality. The AY chip that's in the sound speech pack is already emulated on. Uh, ah, gotcha, it's, gotcha. Like uh, I think already is just getting that SP. What is it? O two fifty six voice chip to actually get going on the FPGAs. Nice. Okay, sorry, John Strong. Go ahead. The the other big issue. There's two big issues back in the day. Okay, with it is one the cost. And the cost on it never really came down. So having it in the emulator does eliminate that issue. The other issue was programming it in the response time. And it wasn't, it was a pain in the neck to program with the, the sound and such. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I, found it, I found it somewhat awkward, but it's certainly doable. Well, no, nobody said it wasn't doable, and it's been done. It just, uh, back in the day, you had those two issues. Do I mess with this thing? It's a pain in the neck work. Two, it's so expensive, very few people have it. Therefore, you know, it's kind of the chicken and egg. Do I do the time for it? 
you know, and nobody be able to use it. Ron Klein uh, Jr. is logging in. So there's... Yeah, the the, the initial was, price of it was certainly an entry-level barrier. Well, then you and, needed a multi-pack, too, if you wanted to run any disc-based games with it. Exactly, yeah. And so it was one of those one of those things that was rarely used because of those issues. And uh, it's not the issues cannot be worked around. We have games that did work around it. Uh, but uh, After I got Buana Buana working, I surprised myself that, hey, I got it working on my Coco 3. I, had, mm-hmm. I never run it on my Coco 3. And it's like, oh, it's using my speech sound pack. Yeah. And it actually music out of it. That surprised yeah. me. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, kind of the point I want to make, and we, we, uh, it's already been hinted at, is with the, the AY steering type chips, you know, the Yamaha, the AY, and also the, the TI chips that we're talking about putting in the game cartridges, is those are actually probably a better choice today unless you need the speech and uh, for its use. And also, you know, especially AY series chip, those were available back in the day. There were there were carts. You know, I never had one. They were too expensive. But, you know, they existed. Just not Radio Shack brands. Right. So, Ron, are you pressed for time? Because we got Ron Klein joining us right now. Have you got time, Ron? Can't I can't hear you, Ron? Oh, we got no audio. No sound, Ron. Oh dear. <laughs> it's one second. Okay, right, I just wasn't sure because he had alluded something in the text chat that he might be uh, short on time today. And Steve uh, Bosco just joined us. Steve Bamford. Hey, Bosco, how are you? Welcome. Um, yeah, so there were there were a variety of reasons why you could you we could say it didn't. Um, get used more in the past, the cost, the complexity, uh, things like that. Um, I remember reading about this in the uh, Boise and Bill book where they were going to possibly build the speech sound pack into the deluxe color computer. Um, That would have been interesting. And I guess what happened with the Coco 3 was people figured out a good enough way to make music to not depend on that hardware. And it became less, quote unquote, necessary um, but it's still a piece of Cocoa history, and even if nobody develops anything new for it ever, still can't hear you, Ron, it's just kind of nice now that we can capture and preserve that technology and, and enjoy some of those programs that took advantage of it um, through MAME, and then hopefully in the future through other platforms. Um, Definitely. I think if we program it into something like the FCGA, it'd be a good thing to have, you know, Compatibility with the legacy speech sound pack sure, for sure. the games to support it, you know, mm-hmm. and then maybe a bypass or a shortcut or turbo mode for modern games to use it without going jumping through all of the hoops. Yeah, that might be cool. Yeah, like a, yeah, that's that's a great that's a great utopian solution right there. That it has all the strict hardware compatibility for legacy products. And then a fast track way to bypass the stupid chip <laughs> and make new <laughs> software that just talks straight to the hardware. That's again, and we I think we've got people smart enough to make that happen. I'm not on that list. <laughs> whenever you whenever you make a list and smarts on the top of it, my name will never make that list. 
Uh, I know one person that might be able to do it. Yeah. Well, well let's something else go on right now. <laughs> Alexander Wallace has just joined us. Viva Mexico. Hello, Alexander. How are you? Hola. All right. Well, let's move on past that. We'll, we'll, we will revisit that when we have time to demonstrate it better. And that might be today, might be tomorrow. It will be in the near future. So we'll move on to another topic. And since we have, <laughs> uh, well, maybe not. Here's Ron Klein again. Uh, this just in live via satellite, everybody. Ron Klein. Ron Klein, do you read us? Can you hear me? We can hear I you, can Ron. Now. <laughs> Ed I Snyder has just joined us, too. For the audio, let me put the video back on here. All right. I don't hear anybody away, but. Uh, no. I, I got just a little bit of time. I figured I would hop on real quick um, and just answer a couple questions. It sounds like you're going to do something later tonight. I might be able to join. If not, tomorrow sounds pretty good. Just give me a time. It'll be tomorrow, um, yeah, with Tim oh. sometime. Okay. Yeah, the version of MAME I compiled, like I said, it's just for the mess support. Um, it's working very well. I just was messing with it before I upload messing with it just before I uploaded it. So it's for Windows only. If anyone wants a Linux version, I can try to do a compile for 64-bit Linux. My distribution right now is um, Linux Mint, but I might be able to do it for others. No, that's cool though. It's very cool that this is coming and 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 this will be in the next release of the Cocoa Pie, right? Yeah, actually I have it running on the Cocoa Pie um right now. The only thing we're having an issue with is there's a little bit of audio feedback. I'm not exactly sure why. I've talked to Tim about it. We're looking into it. Um it's I'm using the analog audio out of the Raspberry Pi 3 because my Raspberry Pi is plugged into a VGA monitor. Okay. I did try it through HDMI, which would use the digital audio, and I'm right. still getting the same feedback. So okay. the speech and sound cartridge works. It works great. It's just that that feedback's annoying, so we're trying to figure out why. Okay, we're that's cool. That's, that sounds like something minor, and it sounds like you're, you know, you've already got four out of the five steps in the right direction taken care of. So that's pretty, it's pretty freaking awesome. It really is to me. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm a gaming geek. So for me, this is like, you know, this is, this is hallelujah, you know, to hear this kind of stuff. And 90 other percent of the people might say, well, who cares? What are you talking about? Whatever, move on. But for me, this is awesome. And I think any true Coco hardware fan should appreciate, even if you didn't play the games, even if you don't care what the music sounds like, we should appreciate the fact that this is a major accomplishment to, emulate this very unique piece of hardware it is I, i'm glad to see it as well i would like to see some other hardware make it into mame uh, or maybe the other emulators as well the thing is you know some of the newer stuff coming out wasn't part of the old legacy coco world so i don't know where you draw the line with are we going to emulate new hardware for the old coco i'm kind of hoping we do there's some neat sound devices coming out that may be beneficial uh, especially from a development standpoint, um, so we'll see what happens. But this is a good a good step to have this uh, this cartridge emulated now. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree. I, I think that as far as which ones we should emulate, we maybe look at which ones would serve a, a useful function on emulator. Because, for instance, is it not a whole lot of point of emulating a Coco SDC on an emulator because you've already got the the functionality with the virtual disks and whatnot. And the Coco Flash really is designed to replace multiple cartridges, and you can do virtual cartridges on an emulator. Um, the 
that the, something like the sound, the sound chips that are coming out add functionality to both the emulator and the physical platform. And I think we should add them to the emulators as options so that we can run that software. Yeah. And I think John Strong or John Linville mentioned that in the most recent podcast that there is a way to emulate his hardware uh, on his sound chip. And then John Strong can talk about his, but it sounds like that is an option. So because these are quote unquote over the counter uh, pieces of hardware that probably already exist in MAME, I, I think that option is there. So people could develop a Actually, test I think for the supercar. Yeah. Um, the, so I, I think I've seen the, in the source code, the actual chips themselves are listed there, but whether they're actually interfaced to the Coco or not is another story. Right. But I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that John strong, I'm, I'm sorry, John strong. I, at least I'm remembering your name, John strong, but uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure John Linville mentioned that this on episode 24, that there is a way to emulate his, we'll call it his super pack with the sound and, and, and bank switch ROM and everything else. So, um, and, and if that's true, which I believe it is because my memory's bad, but it's not that bad. Um, that means anybody who wants to develop for a cartridge, our next topic, um, can try that through emulation first before you go through, you know, pressing out hardware chips and things like that, which is, which is cool stuff. So, um, the, to the me, biggest, this is a, this is a great week there. for Coco. The, the biggest thing there is actually going to be not the sound chips, which already there is emulation written on, in MAME to handle those and just needs to be linked to the color computer. But the bank-switched ROM is actually more of an issue because right now the color computer does not have, uh, under MAME, emulation for the bank-switch cartridges, which is something I've been thinking about adding from time to time but haven't gotten around to it yet. So cartridges existing like RoboCop, and uh, Predator and whatnot that use bank switching do not run under either VCC or MAME emulation. Barry, that's interesting because one of the things that I've been talking to some developers on the side is, uh, you know, I, I run Fuzix, um on the Coco 3. Uh, Brett's done a lot of good work with that on the, for the Coco 3 port, but there is a Coco 2 and Dragon port that Tormod has, and one of the things that he developed, I'm not sure how old it is, he's got a, what he calls a Sphinx 512 board. It's a cartridge that plugs into the Coco 2 or the Dragon and provides an additional 512k of banked RAM along with an SD card uh, slot. So from a Fuzik standpoint, it really makes the Coco 2 and Dragon platform much more usable. One of the things I was hoping to see is a way to virtualize that, to provide that cartridge support for a coco 2 um so what you're saying um may be something that they're going to have to overcome if they do provide that support to run fuzix on a platform and then that you know when you start looking at that i'm also very interested in the coco vga that that brendan's doing um you know some of the new text modes and things like that you know you wonder if that'll ever make it into emulation for the coco 2 so there's there's a lot of neat things that I would like to see virtualized as well. Again, more to help from a development standpoint. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I have to agree with that. I mean, I've been using MAME lately because of its debugger, and it's, it's, it's wonderful to have that. I mean, you can set watch points and breakpoints and have memory dumps of different chunks of memory at the same time, as well as a disassembly of code and interrupts and everything else. It's, it's quite handy in debugging. Yeah, no, and that's exactly it. If we're going to develop software for some of this new hardware, it's nice to have that debugger. That that really you keep 
exactly on what um, is so great about MAME is that debugger. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm not even a you know a developer for MAME, but I've used it to help troubleshoot, and it's it's great. So it needs to become more MMU aware and, and task register aware. That's about the only complaint I have about it. Hmm. I think Richard just joined us. Richard, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. All right, uh, and so how is the tornado that you're in right now? Is it good? <laughs> live from the watching his roof fly by. Live from the storm weather center, <laughs> coming in. So yeah, I, it, it, it's a it's a great day in cocoa history when we can when we can have this and and we um, right now it's a lot of talk and for anybody who doesn't quite follow some of what we're saying. We will find a way to demonstrate this for you soon, possibly even tomorrow, so you can hear what we're talking about. And I look forward to that. So um, let's let's transition now into the topic of cartridges, which has been a pretty good thread of of activity this week on Facebook and everything else. And maybe a few feathers were ruffled in the process. I don't think any of them were meant to be ruffled, but I think it started off as harmlessly enough where when... Um, Nick Marentis's blog about Chapter 2 of Gunstar was there, and I think John Linville started off by saying, well, this would be really cool to see in a cartridge, and it kind of started from there, and then it just got into lots of discussions, which I believe all were of positive intent, but maybe sometime along the way somebody said, well, I don't care about cartridge, I'd rather do it this way, and some people would say, well, was there a problem with this? And I don't think any of that was was meant, but... I think it's a great topic, and I'm just going to speak from my perspective first. I, you know, I would love to have as many things on a cartridge as possible, being a consumer and a collector, because I think it's a cool thing, and I would be happy to pay for the, not only the cartridge edition, but a floppy edition and a virtual floppy edition. And you know, I do have a little bit of disposable income. I'm not trying to brag, but um, you know, I, I, to me, I, there could not be enough versions of new Cocoa products, and maybe I'm in the minority. And, and I do know there are a lot of other developmental challenges and production challenges and upfront expenses and things like that. But um, it's, it's a great topic. Um, we have John Strong here who is producing his own cartridges and, and has some firsthand experience on this. Um, and um, that's, that's where we'll start is, you know, if you're making a new game. And, and John Linville talked about this last month and this month. What are the reasons to put a game on a cartridge? What are some of the benefits? Uh, there are certain things where, you know, it loads in instantly. It loads automatically. There are some certain things that will run faster, et cetera, et cetera. There are certain pros, but there are certain cons. And so um, that's where we're going to start in with that. So just go around the room and, and people talk about what your thoughts are on either purchasing a cartridge, uh, developing for a cartridge, producing a cartridge, whatever you want to say when it comes to that. I guess if it's possible, since I mentioned I could lead off. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, actually, the first stuff I produced or that was actually considered to be in a cartridge was way back in the day. And I did a terminal that plugged into the uh, RS-232 pack so we could use it on a multiple-user Cocoa system used in the classroom, a math classroom. And so, uh, in fact, it had been so long ago I'd forgotten I had done that until I was doing work in the game cartridges. And I had watched some interest with uh, John Linville's experiments with molding cases and so on. And, you know, I even toyed the idea with 
you know, making one just to do it. But thought it, you know, really wasn't worthwhile to, to produce with that. Uh, however, you know, John Linville did make a challenge uh, a couple years ago in the 4K contest that he had ROM cartridge uh, entry and he challenged somebody else to match him. So I did so uh, as far as I created a little breakout game uh, for uh, the rental cartridge uh, just for the 4K contest. And so that was kind of my entry back into making the cartridge. Cartridge was kind of a cool idea. Um, it was nice uh, until you got to, you know, floppy drives. So I like, you know, I like both of them. Okay. Um, I like the cartridge. The fact it's quick, it's easy. You know what they've got. It's plugged in. It's going to run. And I ran into the issue recently. We had somebody that just knew back into the color computer saying who ordered some, some of my software. And, uh, you know, I made it clear in the emails that, hey, you know, someone came on CD disk. And in fact, when he came back, oh, my fault. <laughs> How do I get it copied over here? How do I use it? Well, there's a lot of us that's second nature, you know, we're going to use a couple of SDC you know, or some other alternative or drive wire. And I had to start pointing him to the right places to be able to use it. So it's nice to have something that you can ship out to somebody, they plug it in, and it just works. And then actually, I have to agree with you on that, John. And so that's really nice. nice on, on, on the, they last forever. Yeah. Yeah, on the flip side, you know, it's really easy to make your change on your SD, on your, you know, your CD stuff. Uh, you got less limitations, uh, you know, using a disk-based system or, you know, Cocoa SDC. Uh, though a lot of those limitations can be eliminated on the cartridge. And... Uh, Actually, this week I've got something in. I was working on looking at another project, actually, for my nephew, and uh, it's something he wants to do with some electronics. And uh, I ordered something in, and I got thinking, "Hey, wait a minute, can we use that with the cocoa?" And so, um, <laughs> God bless you. Can I can and, I cram can I cram it in my cocoa? <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be, and, and it might possibly be a way to share game saves. Oh, that's cool. That's that's one of the challenges. Such, yeah. Uh, across things. Hi, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're listening to Coco Talk, the nation's leading weekly live talk show about the Tandy Color Computer. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com, featuring hand-drawn custom designs and pixel art by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. We've got the brand new official Coco Talk t-shirt, I'm a Coconut t-shirt, and all kinds of other cool video game and arcade-related artwork. Check out 8bit256.com for all your retro swag needs today. have to see what the actual capability of the the items is okay i'm looking at uh, actually rfid tags okay 
are sometimes commonly called NFC, near field communication. Cool. And so, uh, one of the things while I set this up and work on the idea for my nephew and, uh, the background on that, he's a jeweler who designs jewelry and he's wanting to put RFID tags in some of his jewelry so people could just, you know, scan it with a Android phone or something and go to a website and get more information or share it and things like that. And uh, so that's what started the idea. But uh, actually, RFID tags is used widely in uh, gaming right now. Nintendo, the Ambio series stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. And those are those are basically just you know RFID tags. Okay. Interesting. And uh, you look out there, and they've hacked. They've hacked out all over the place. Right. And uh, so you don't have to buy the, the figurines or anything at this time. If you want to be able to play with the stuff, you can find the hacked data and burn it in. Oh, wow. That's so uh, it's like counterfeit credit cards at this point. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the couple things I'm looking at is, and this just came to me the other night, so I haven't had time to do the research yet. Just how much data I can store on there. And if it's going to be big enough to do a game save or a character save. The the, the concept is, and I wasn't going to talk about this, and I I am, and so I'm going to get accused of of vaporware and things, but this is just a kind of a a venture idea of what can be done, experiment at this time. And, uh, you know, do I have enough data on there that I can say I can, if I have a game that you build up with characters, take something like um, uh, any of the role-playing games where you build up your characters and sure, sure, sure. something like that, and be able to take a card and go to your friends and and boom, with your friends, be able to load in that character and that play. That would be cool. That's you very know, cool. Uh, you know, the, the concept is good. It, it can it can work. Whether, you know, it requires a whole infrastructure for the code. Um, and whether that's going to be worth messing with and ideas right. or not. Well, it's just one of, one of those multiple crazy, you know, time-consuming ideas. I you, you know what I wish I could do, and you're not going to want to hear this, but every time I hear how you guys have all these great ideas and all the things you're thinking about, I wish I could be like one of these big um, um, villains from the movies where you grab up all these scientists and you just chain them up and you make them produce things or, you, or, they, or they won't be able to see their family, you know, and these type of things where I'm just going to make you guys all prisoners and force you to produce this crap. And, you know, it's just like you want these things and when are you going to have time to make them all, you know? And it's like, well, Steve, you can help him with that. Just pay him a full-time wage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he can quit his regular job and go ahead. You, know, you hear about this all the time, like the scientists that get kidnapped for their knowledge to help the villains produce the next bomb and stuff. And it's just like, dude, let's get all these great minds together and, and get them to crank out Cocoa stuff 24-7. You, you can be the Cocoa Nazi, you know, <laughs> the, you know, like I said, this is very first stage. You know, I yeah. I just ordered this stuff, you know, to for the project for my nephew. Yeah, and uh, you know, if he yeah. actually does this part, it could be you know a profitable venture for us. 
because he's good. He's, um, right, 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 right. Well, let's let's reel it back in a little bit from getting off to what could happen later to let's just focus on the cartridges that we can make now. And I really want to hear from Nick Morentis on this because he's already got a game and he's got a new game in development. One of the things that comes to mind, Nick, is, you know, I don't know enough about how Popstar Pilot works and how it loads its data off of the disk because I know you've got a bunch of different files that pull in. But how hard would it be just as an experiment to convert the disk-based version of Popstar to load everything from parts of the cartridge either being in bank switch memory locations or something like that it's just kind of a proof of concept that once you've developed it now we can port it to run off of this thing here and is that is that something that you can even conceive as being feasible or is it not worth the effort when it's already done or Good question. Uh, yeah it definitely can be done it's um i mean whatever cartridge you uh, you end up using to put, put say popstar pilot on it it's going to be a cartridge that's going to support bank selection Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just have to, you know, whatever scheme it uses, just use that to load the appropriate blocks of memory to wherever they're meant to be. No, not not much different to disk. Now, it's just that on disk it's easy to do because, well, it's fully supported by BASIC. You can, mm-hmm. I, I just use the BASIC program. You load the, the BASIC program and it loads the rest. You know, there's no fancy hardware needed to do bank selecting and you know shuffle things around it's very easy to do in basic um but yeah you can still do it on a cartridge it all depends on the cartridge's um method of uh bank selection okay um i think the difference comes in when you start seeing cartridges that have built-in additional features like a sound chip right um if you're a cartridge also includes a sound chip or anything else. Well, you you, you have to write it for the for the cartridge, of course. To right, 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 right. That that extra feature. Whereas if you write for disc, of course, you are pretty well locked into what the um, standard system has, unless you you know make it support a multi pack and then talk to a cartridge like the sound and speech pack separately, uh, there's still that option. Right, 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 right. And and that was a question I had asked when I first started hearing about these new sound cards, is it might be a way mm-hmm. to make this kind of a reusable component. And I, I know there are pros and cons to that, because on the one hand, you're saying it's a dollar chip, and it's got, you know, $5 worth of supporting circuitry to make it work. So is it does that justify a whole separate cartridge and does that justify needing an MPI at this point and stuff? So I can see both sides of that coin too. Um, I think on, on one hand, if you're making it on a cartridge, I think the cartridge itself is a value added thing. And if that cartridge has sound on the cartridge too, it's an even more value added thing because you're getting some bonus hardware with this amazing new game. Um, but again, now for you to develop that, you need to have access to that hardware to develop it. And that's the part I don't understand because I don't know what it's like to develop. And I would, I would just imagine it, and, and John Strong can probably, you know, chime in on this too. It, it, I don't know if it's a degree of difficulty or an extra challenge, but it's just more things you have to, there's, there's more balls in the air you're juggling now as you're not only developing your code, but now testing your code to work on hardware that's not necessarily on board at the moment. And, you know, how do you connect those dots and how do you make it simple for yourself as the developer to work on the project and then finally produce the final project? Is it, is it, is it intimidating? Is it frustrating? Is it overwhelming? Is it a great degree of complexity or could it be managed? You know? Well, it, 
the thing is, a ROM cartridge, um, if you ignore the fact that, you know, a cartridge could have an additional sound chip and all that, the ROM cartridge itself is really just another storage medium. It's not really anything magical. It's just another storage medium, just like mm -hmm. having something on disk. Now, if, as I said, if the cartridge has additional features, well, then the software on the cartridge could use that. But then you could do the same even on disk. You know, you have a program that talks to the cartridge through the multipack and do the same thing. In other words, you, you can develop the software uh, on disk uh, or whatever. Um, you don't actually have to uh, have the cartridge as such unless it has the extra features. You can develop everything like like I did with Popstar Pilot, and then mm. later put it onto a cartridge. Um, but yeah, if, if if you're going to support any additional functions of of that cartridge, like the sound, well, you do have to own that cartridge. And the way to do it as a developer would would be to have a multi pack with with the cartridge, and then you develop everything, of course, on the disc. Um, supporting the cartridge that way it's just the end product has to all then be moved into a cartridge uh, and and you know th there's a lot more work then at the end just to um to get the code into a cartridge to support a sound chip that's on there you know that manufacturing of the cartridge the additional cost of posting it and you know, there's a few things to look at. Mm -hmm. I'm all for cartridges. I, I like cartridges. I've always mm -hmm. wanted to, to, well, I've always wanted to create a cartridge, but the the, the roadblocks I see is uh, is the expense, of course, and the additional um, development that's uh, required to support it. Um, it is a lot easier to do it on a disc. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot lower in cost. I mean, I've costed a, a ROM cartridge if I was to sell Popstar Pilot on 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 a cartridge. I have to factor in one the cost of manufacturing that cart cartridge, mm -hmm. um, um, and maybe even to have the the circuit board designed. Now, hopefully, someone will create a, a generic cartridge that everyone can use. But at the yeah. moment, John Linville did. I would have, yeah, I would it, have it, to design a, a cartridge, uh, a circuit board. Um, and have it manufactured and mm. tested and all that. Mm. That's actually not the hard part. You can actually make that board fairly cheaply. Then you've got to add in the cost of the plastic case, which is what ten to fifteen dollars, just just plastic box on its own. Mm -hmm. And then I have to factor in being in Australia, and if I'm to ship out a package, that postage is going to um, double what I, I used with Popstar Pilot on a CD. We, we over here go by the thickness of a parcel. If if your parcel can pass through a certain slot size at the post office, you pay a certain amount. If it mm. goes over that slot size, it doubles. Our CD that I distributed Popstar Pilot would fit through the slot. The slot. A ROM pack doesn't. So straight off, I'm up. I'm up for about $20 US postage, only the postage. So $20 US postage plus well, $15 US for the plastic cartridge case plus the cost of, a, of the PCB board, let's say $10 as well. 
straight off, you've already got um, almost what, $35 there just in costs. Uh, that's zero profit. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to wonder, all this work, is it really worth it? So that, that was my argument why, we, you know, um, that some people thought I was against cartridges. Um, I'm not against cartridges. It's just the the actual um, whole process of producing a package on a on a on a cartridge is a little bit prohibitive in some areas. Uh, the cost and the time involved. Um, I, I personally think that the big value really in any um, soft uh, cartridges is not so much the cartridge itself. I know there are collectors out there that, that'll collect cartridges, but really the value is the game itself. And you can have that on disc, cartridge, even cassette, really, for that matter, if it's a good game. So, yeah, I would love a cartridge, but I, it's just the logistics of getting a cartridge out at a, at a low enough price that's fair to people. Right. Um, which is why I, I had Popstar Pilot I sold for $25 US complete. Postage, mm -hmm. manufacturing, um, and threw in a lot of bonus content on the CD. So, I mean, you didn't actually buy just Popstar Pilot. Right, you bought right, six right, right. whatever other games as well. It was really seven whatever programs plus a bonus video all for $25, you know. So, it was good value. So, I do yeah. aim to get good value. For, for the consumer. So cartridges, I can't quite see the good value un unless the prices come down. And, um, well, hopefully that will change over time. Um, but that that's probably why I'm, I'm a bit hesitant on a cartridge at this point. Well, the, the, the rough numbers that I, because I had inquired, you know, what are some ballpark prices? This is just material. This does not include labor. But supposedly to get the cartridge and the circuit board, it's, we'll just call it $20. So if you were to get um, the red cartridge that, uh, you know, the John Linville and, and, and uh, Mike Rowe and everybody, the red cartridge and John Linville's circuit board and everything else, the cost of that equipment is about, you know, let's say $18, $20 just for the hardware. So you basically you got to figure out whatever price you wanted to sell your thing for, and you got to add $20 for that because you've now got a $20 cost just in the plastic and the circuitry that you need to do to that. Now, you're in a unique situation because you have international shipping, which throws a bigger monkey wrench into it. But if you were able to produce the image for this and have somebody stateside make the cartridges for you and ship them statewide, that would that would at least get rid of the um the shipping hurdle but the yes. actual the actual additional production cost again not including labor but just um you know hardware it's about twenty dollars and so if you were able to sell popstar pilot on a cartridge for 45 dollars in the states i don't think anybody would have an issue for, for that price because that's the average price of a cartridge is forty dollars you know that's what um Farfall was going for that was Bomb Squad was going for around forty dollars. So I don't think forty to fifty dollars uh, retail for a cartridge is an unreasonable price to ask, knowing that almost half of that is not even like you say it's not profit. It's it's material costs, and then you have you know um, the 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 time to physically put it all together and put a label on it, put it in a box, and the whole nine yards. You know, so um, I, I think I think to me, uh, and again, not knowing all the moving pieces, the biggest logistical challenge becomes the assembly 
of this when it's done, you know, putting the cartridge together and putting a label on it and putting it in a box and things like that, you know. And I guess one question I have is too is is like if you take a look at at the cartridges that have been sold and they they've, they've sold for forty or twenty or thirty depending on the on the game obviously, um, but the sales figures that Nick has had are quite a bit past them and I'm wondering if maybe there is a threshold that some people aren't going to spend forty dollars if they're not cartridge collectors or cartridge I wouldn't say fans but you know it's not as important they want the game as opposed to the collectible. Because mm-hmm. I mean, Nick sales are you know literally triple to quadruple what everybody else has been getting. I don't know if that's related to well, the fact that it's cheaper. The, well, that's it was right. Well, we're, we're talking I, about the person who likes collecting cartridges. Well, fair enough. Everyone who likes collect anyone who likes collecting cartridges will prefer a cartridge, and uh, especially if the cartridge has something extra like a sound chip or whatever. You know that that makes it more collectible. But not everyone does. There are those that. Um, that don't want a cartridge, uh, can't afford anything more than say twenty dollars or whatever for a game, or can't see the value. Um, like I like I said on my um, on a previous um, um, chat that we had here, some of the people who bought my Popstar Pilot bought weren't even game players. You know, they bought bought it solely to support my work, and you know, I'm very grateful for that. That's great. I don't know if they would have forked out. Um, forty, fifty dollars, or whatever, just to show their support for a product that they, they're not really going to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's um, having a lower price point does does um, bring it below that threshold that everyone can afford it. So m- my goal is that everyone should be able to afford um, the the software, which is why I've I've gone to disc because it's a, a lower cost option maybe i could do a cartridge version of 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 that of say the soft say popstar pilot as an example now i could do a enhanced version if there's a cartridge out there with sound i could do a new version that supports the sound chip on the cartridge and then sell that as a rom pack and and that'll be a more expensive one but at least the cartridge collector could buy the cartridge but those that don't want to spend that sort of money and want to just support your work or whatever, well, they can buy the disc. I mean, it, it still comes in a nice box mm-hmm. and a CD with all the bonus material and all that. It's still good value for 25 but they might think, oh, 45 is a is a bit, bit more than what I really want to spend. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, Gameplay Goodness. To get your very own Gameplay Goodness DVDs featuring color computer games played by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh, visit 8bit256.com and grab yourself a Coco Gaming DVD today. That's 8bit256.com for all of your Gameplay Goodness needs. So you've got essentially two markets there. Now, I just tend to go for the, the bigger one initially in order to um, give everyone a chance to have access to the program. If I can get rid of some of the logistic problems, then, yeah, I can move on to a cartridge. But for now, at the moment, it's just a, a little bit 
too much. And 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 with Gunstar, I'm I'm going to make that floppy uh, CD as well, floppy or CD as well. Okay. Again, to keep the cost down. Um, but then I might consider doing a uh, limited edition cartridge version. Hopefully, in twelve months or whatever, we will see like what you say, someone who will. Um, step forward to say, I will make your cartridge. Uh, you just give me the image and I'll I'll do the rest. Of course, mm -hmm. they'll want to be paid something, so that sure, is an sure. expense there anyway. Um, and, and really, back in the day, when you talk about Steve Bjorg and, and, and um, even Rick, uh, who's here now, um, they, didn't, they never made cartridges themselves. Hey, Rick. <laughs> they never <laughs> actually made the cartridges. Right. Uh, they they did exactly that. They they made the image and gave it to Tandy. Tandy made it all. So you know, they had that system in place back mm -hmm. then. Right. But nowadays we don't have Tandy or any other company. So well, we do we, have uh, Neil Brookings. We have well, Neil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me, Me so, in Canada. Yeah, well, so I've got I'm, an Ephron burner too, so I can burn Ephron like that. Yeah, it's more than it's more than just burning a ROM and sticking it on a card. You know, I mean, you want the whole package, the presentation, mm -hmm. the label, the everything. You know, whether you put it into a red cartridge or whatever. You know, the artwork, everything. It's a full package. Oh, it's not, the cartridge it's, box. Yeah, mm -hmm. everything. It's a package. You're not selling a piece of hardware here. You play with this. Yeah. It, 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 you are buying a product. So, you know, may, maybe over time we will see someone who will offer that sort of service. But for now, for programmers like me, um, we have to take on the burden of all that manufacturing as mm -hmm. well as developing the game. And, you know, I don't want to get sidetracked from the game because I'm too busy trying to produce right. car a cartridge you know the focus is towards making a good game um, yes and I, and I don't want to see you know oh cartridges it's the latest fad let's produce everything on a cartridge i mean some some programs really are quite happy on a disc you can sell it at a low price you don't want to have to pay a lot of money for a game that you would typically have on on a disc uh, but if you're going to put a lot of effort in for a really good game, I can see where a cartridge adds value to it, makes it collectible. It's a, it's a product. Right. It's a good product, you know. Yeah. So, that, yeah, my, yeah, my thinking That actually now, brings up a, a memory of mine, actually. Um, this was just after Curtis and I did the Nitrous Stein project, but I ended up on another project that started as a cartridge using the Bitbanger port and going to an advertising sign, sign which is yep. scrolling sign. And it actually ended up starting on the cartridge using cassette-based system, but it actually ended up moving towards an actual disk-based system, which we actually totally abandoned the cartridge because of the fact that it's now disk-based, so let's put everything on disk. And that brings up another part that I was going to mention, too, is um, if you have software and then you find out later on there's some bugs or some stuff you want to change, you can update a disk image super easy. You can even yes. send it to people to transfer to a real disk. If it's burnt onto ROM, you're stuck. you got the buggy version. you got to send a new ROM to the customer. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I, Windows I... doesn't get supplied on a ROM. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's also one I... other... 
there's also one other problem is uh, not everybody has a cocoa. Some people use emulators, and and there's times I like to just play on an emulator instead of just on the cocoa. So with the cartridge, you're kind of limited to the type of uh, right. computer you're going right. to use. Well, and, and I know I know Bruce has been waiting patiently to to, to uh, chime in here, and I'm going to give you your second here. I'm going to give you your chance in just two seconds, Bruce. But I want to mention two things that a few people have mentioned in chat that I also threw out on Facebook too. Uh, Bosco says have different versions, have the digital download and the deluxe cartridge version, which is what Ed Snyder is agreeing with as well. I'd also thrown out that suggestion about have, you could, you know, let the consumer choose. I can buy a digital download. I can buy the, somebody might not even want to pay for the CD-ROM. They just give me the disc image via email and just give me that. I'll be happy with that. Um, somebody might say, yeah, give me the, give me the Popstar Pilot package because I like that. That's collectible. And I'll, you know, so I'll give you a $10 for the digital version of the software. I'll give you a 20 for the CD-ROM version and I'll give you 40 for the cartridge. Or somebody like me might say, well, I want all of them. I want the super deluxe bonus edition that's got the cartridge, the CD-ROM in this, and an autograph and a freaking plush toy at the same time. You know, only available at Target type situation. So there's other ways that you could possibly offer variations on that. And now I'll shut up and let Bruce Moore go because he's he's Canadian. He's very polite. He's been waiting a long time to speak. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let me say that if uh, Nick, if you do put a cartridge version out, uh, Jake and I will be very happy to plunk some cash down for it. <laughs> so let me just put that out there, even though we've got your disc already. So, um, so a, a lot of the stuff that Nick uh, Nick Marantis is saying, I, I totally identify with and agree with. And I, I like I'm not an A level developer here. I do mostly basic with a little bit of machine code, and I've got this game that I started when I was a kid and abandoned and I'm resurrecting it, you know, so 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 I'll just tell you this little story and it kind of hits all the points I think. I show up at Coco Fest demoing my game, Forest of Doom and Boise walks up to me and says, you should put that on a cartridge. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I was like, like, I just couldn't even get my head around this idea. And I said, well, yeah, but it's in basic. Well, I think there's a way to do that. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no clue how to do that. I'm never going to do that, you know. You know, time goes on. And I had a, a kind of, you know, and there's been the talks on the Facebook about, um, you know, like all the stuff that Nick's talking about, you know, the, the cost of the development and, and how to develop it and the constructing it and shipping and all that kind of business. And, and those are all seem like barriers to me. But I had a conversation with the John Linville just a couple of days ago and, um you know, what I got out of that was this, was the idea of um, licensing, licensing the game to, let's call it the Linville Brookings Incorporated or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, basically, what I what I got out of this, this conversation was that if I can get my game, like, ready to go uh, and sort of hand it over to them, like, they'll kind of make it happen on a cartridge and I don't have to, I don't have to figure it out. At least if this is... I think that's what I, he was telling me. They would be your Radio Shack. Yeah. Essentially. He would be, yeah. 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 He'd be the vendor and he could, uh, and, and then, you know, there'd be, it'd be licensing. Like, we'll sell it and, you know, you can have whatever, figure out a royalty thing. And, uh, yeah. And, I have and, to comment after Mr. Moore. So. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I've been trying to, I, I don't know if you guys, can you guys hear me okay? Sure thing. Yeah, I've been trying to speak before. I guess my audio was not getting through. I was going to say something similar. Um, that I can eliminate most of Nick uh, Marente's concerns. 
Although the fact is the cartridge will cost more because there is an inherent cost in having a hardware. But there, we, we have, for instance, the Coco Flash unit can have whatever software loaded, preloaded into it. So if he's can, if he can license it to Jim Brain, we can preload a copy of whatever binary into a Coco Flash and ship it out from unit US. Well, that's not much difference to having an SDC and just putting it on an SDC. But it's, well, on sure. a, it's on a cartridge, though, and you sell the cartridge. First of all, it doesn't oh, you require sell the cartridge. Oh. Yeah. Well, well, sure it is. You know, first of all, it doesn't require you know, multi-pack or, or floppy control or floppy emulation or anything like that. Secondly, you know, I'm sure we can figure something out where we can brand it with a special label, etc., that has this preloaded on it. You know, if there's an update, you can actually reflash the uh, the unit because these days uh, flash memory and ROM memory is you know almost the same price. So you know, it, it's and the Coco Flash is flash memory. So you, there is an update or a new version, you can reflash it. You know, and that's you what Ed Snyder Ed Snyder just put that on the chat too. Redoing and you can also on use the SD store. You know, yeah, it's a special edition of the Coco Flash cartridge. It has this preloaded. But you could also use it to put other games and stuff onto as well. Uh, does it have a sound chip as well? Does it? It has a limited sound chip in the current edition of the Coco Flash. It has really, it's not a sound chip. It's an, a, a digital to analog converter, which is the uh, the, the Orchestra, Orchestra 90. 90 heart. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's another option. Of, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's another option that's out there. You yeah. know that. You know, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, it certainly solves the shipping problem because he's based in the U.S., so there's that. You know, the hardware already exists. If the user purchases this with your software on it, you know, then they also get all the benefits of a Cocoa Flash unit as well that they can use for other stuff. So it sort of uh, helps offset the, the price. You're still not going to probably have the type of profit margin that you would have with a strictly disk-based or especially an email-based solution, you know, you've got a lot more shipping costs and packaging costs. Yeah, that's the, definitely the cheapest option. But, you know, it, as you know, you say, it's another option that you could consider. It certainly is. Bruce, were you, did you have more to add? I don't know if you got yeah, you finished yeah. your thought. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, like, I, you know, I, I'm certainly not interested in making any money here. I'm not concerned about profit margin personally. That's not a, that's not a deal. Like, I want someone to play my game and like it, you know? Yeah. And, yep. and I want lots of people to. And, and I've made an assumption that if I, um, if I put this on a cartridge, then that would only, you know, only people who would buy a cartridge would get to play it. And, uh, you know, and talking with John, it was like, well, no, you can, you can do digital. You could do a digital download too. You could do a limited edition. You can have two versions of it. Sure, and, and the, sure. And, and I, I, that never dawned on me that there would be a licensing issue that way. I thought I'd be locked in. So now it's like, well, gee, why, well, why wouldn't I do a limited edition and be able to use that awesome sound chip? Because you know, background music in a game, it, it, yeah. it affects. It's so awesome, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, the Coco Flash really needs to get that added, like a, a real sound chip, because yeah. the DAC you still have to drive with the CPU. You're not going to be able to do it any mm -hmm. better than you're doing now with software DAC anyway. Yeah, that's that's true. I like that we, chip. We looked we we looked at that we looked at that during the initial uh, run, and maybe if the if this current run sells out, we'll look at maybe doing a version 2.0 with some. But the thing is, it would have added several dollars to the cost of the unit because of 
the increase what, in the PC port size and the cost of the chip and the yeah. hardware to, to handle And what that. what is so, the ballpark cost of a Cocoa Flash product right now? I think it's around 50 bucks, 50 okay. you know, somewhere around. Okay. You know. And that's right. just again and that's par for the course for a cartridge and that's just because of the cost right, of the chip right, cost, right. Port, cost of packaging and you know the whole nine right, yards. Right. Well, I think John Strong you know, wanted to chime in to Yeah, Trust I think me. I think John wanted to chime in, and we also have Rick Adams here right now, too, who not only has experience doing cartridges in the past, but is working on something presently that may or may not end up on a cartridge. So I'd like to hear from Rick as well when John has his two cents thrown in here. John Strong. Yes. Um, uh, now, now that I finally got Skype to cooperate with me and let my voice through, I'm going to have to disconnect because i got some other stuff i got to do. All right, Barry. Thanks so. for your input. Much appreciated. Right. Yes, Rick, I see the, the poster. <laughs> Thank you. Subtle advertising. Yes, for, yes. The, hear, for the hearing impaired. <laughs> uh-huh. And having produced the cartridge, and uh, I identify with the stuff that Nick is saying and with Bruce, and so there's, there's all these issues to handle. One was cost. You know. That was very scary, okay? I, I invested in quite a lot, you know, not just, in, you know, uh, the batch of the boxes, you know. And Ken Lunder did a great job on those boxes, okay? But that was another cost, okay? Uh, you know, the, the cartridge, the circuit board, we did share a design with uh, John Limville. He was great about doing that. Uh, that helps bring the cost because we could order a larger quantity of them. But those boards were only less than $3 a board. Wow. Okay. Uh, of course, you put an EEPROM on it, you know, there's going to be about a dollar there. Uh, and then you throw a case on it. You know, in my, my situation, you know, I knew in advance that people were looking to making the molded cases. Okay. Um, and also the announcement came before, of course, before Bomb Squad's there. But by time I knew when the availability of the cartridge would actually there, uh, be available for me to put it in, uh, I had come up with the design, for the, basically the concept of the idea for the cartridge. And it was just so cool to have that multicolored cartridge. No, just, no doubt. I had, you know, I had to do that. The other thing was, is what I end up doing is I end up trading time for money. Okay. And so it takes me time and, you know, F my time to produce those cartridges instead of just spending money. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a, a good trade off for me. And not necessarily that trade off is good for anybody else, but for me it was good because I had this, you know, cartridge that fit the vision that I have with the game. And, uh, and so on. Bomb Squad. Okay. If I didn't do it on cartridge, it probably would never seen the light day. And here's the reason why. One, there's already, you know, Minesweeper type games out there. Okay. Is mine different than theirs? Yes. Okay. I think it goes a little bit farther about playing different levels than the ones I've seen. And it does use the very cool high res software. That Nick and uh, John and Robert Gauntlaw worked on. And so, I guess there's some differences. 
is there enough difference to make it worthwhile to be put all the time in? And would anybody buy it? A couple people. I had a couple people approach me wanting, you know, just a file that they could play. And, uh, but only a couple out of that. Uh, so it's going to match the game. Certain games will go, you just don't want to conceive of as a disc. I think this made the best choice for Bomb Squad. I really think was the cartridge. Such as, you know, I've mentioned to Nick and with some of the Skype conversations that disc was probably hands down the best choice for him to release the disc game. And the pop star you're talking about, right? Yeah, the, the pop star. I think yeah. it was a good I don't know, choice for it. I don't know that I would have been as interested in Bomb Squad on disc because to me part of the novelty too was the it was it's really the it was a situation where the sum was greater than the parts you know where not only is it a new game for the coco which is cool but it is also on a cartridge and it's a custom cartridge with the cool little bomb on the front of it and the little bombs on the side so and in your case i think it was a great move to make this a new game and a very cool custom cartridge that you can't get anywhere else and to me that was part of the appeal to want to have it as well, you know, and that and was, that, that's that just was, my, my thought process. You know, that was kind of the thing, you know, you know, I'm not the master promoter that Nick is. <laughs> he does a really good job. Pat yourself on the back. Just don't hurt your arm doing it, Nick. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm not that master promoter that he is. I do do a little bit of promotion that helps, you know, uh, you've seen Rick Adams, you've seen, you've seen the posters and I had a t-shirt you know, and, you know, those things. Uh, so it helps to have that, you know, the nice box, the, the cool little hokey backstory, you know, with references to Z80 and, you know, uh, different things like that, you know. Uh, those are all kind of what fits together to make Bomb Squad what Bomb Squad is, it is. Uh, would I like that Bomb Squad to sell as many copies as pops up play. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But it's met expectations. Sure. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you, you guys this here too. What is your concern about modern day, for lack of a better term, piracy, where once your, once your software, if it's out there in the ether and it's digital and it's obviously very easy to share, is that going to cut down on sales? Is that a concern of yours? Is it a fear of yours? Is it just realistic that you know it's going to happen to some degree? Um, I think well, it's realistic. Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom in Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey guys, Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you're done with Coco Talk, if you gotta have more cowbell, then head on over to my YouTube channel for your share of gameplay goodness. There you will find over 1,300 family-friendly gameplay videos. Everything from the old school to the next gen and over 200 color computer gameplay videos as well as interviews and replays of Coco Talk. So if you need your share of gameplay goodness, then check out the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh on YouTube at youtube.com slash OG Stevie Strow. Sorry. Well, go ahead, Nick. Oh. 
I think it's realistic to expect it will get copied. Um, that's been happening for the last 30 years. So, <laughs> um, it hasn't stopped. It has tradition stopped. now. Yeah. It, it's going to happen. You know, you, you, you're crazy if you think you, you, you can stop it, unless, of course, you do have have a cartridge which has uh, some feature whereby you can't copy it or you, if you right. do you use some of the features that are on that cartridge. You know, you right. You know, going cart and that was one of the reasons why cartridges became popular back in the day because you couldn't copy a cartridge you, you know that that was your avenue to kill software piracy for a while um, wow <laughs> yeah About six months now I haven't really been concerned about the piracy with popstar pilot um, because because I knew it was going to happen um, if I was frightened enough uh, about piracy, I would probably not have written the game, and then we, we wouldn't have Popstar Pilot or anything. Right. So I just went ahead and did it because it was something I enjoyed d doing. Uh, something, uh, and I, I thought, well, if I can sell twenty copies, you know, surely I'll sell twenty copies. That's good enough. As it turned out, of course, uh, I sold more than twenty copies, um, and. There are people out there who could have copied the game, but they did support um, my my work, and and that was very um, encouraging. That goes to show that um, you might have piracy there, but you do also have people who do appreciate your work and do show it by buying the game, mm -hmm. and that was that was a very good outcome. So in my next game, I want to sort of. Um, go along with that and still produce another package for people. I'm, I'm encouraged to go ahead and do it, work hard, do the best I can, and sell it again for, for as low as I can for sure. everyone to have access to. And I think, you know, I think you'll get people appreciate that and will support you even if they could get a pirate copy. That's, that's it. So, yeah, I didn't really worry too much about piracy. I just concentrated on getting the game done because I wanted to get it done. Very cool to hear. And Rick Adams, we haven't heard from you. I'd love to hear from you on your experiences with cartridges past, present, and future. <laughs> well, um, I remember Dale and I went to a, uh, a color computer users group once and uh, uh, we brought along backpacks that had our games in them and and we put the backpacks down, and then we're talking to people, and all of a sudden somebody taps me on the shoulder and, and says, this won't copy. He had taken a cartridge out of my backpack, and <laughs> he had run some sort of a utility on it that was supposed to copy the contents of it, uh, and for some reason, copy protection or the utility wasn't written very well, it didn't work. And so he wanted to know what was up with that, and I said, give me that. <laughs> so piracy and stupidity and uh, taxes and death all come with life and uh, when I did cartridges uh, I deliberately made mine very easy to copy uh, not because I wanted to make it easy for the people who wanted to pirate it but because I, I knew that there were that. pardon me? I can vouch for that <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the reason I did that uh, was that some people liked to 
uh, copy floppies, I, I mean, copy the cartridge games on the floppies so that they could play them <laughs> off the disc. And I thought that was a legitimate thing to do. And it's like, if you bought the game, I think that you should be able to, you know, play it from whatever medium you wanted to. And so I made it easy to do that. As a matter of fact, I got emailed once from a uh, notorious pirate. Uh, he was very disappointed with me. He said, your <laughs> games are so fun. There is no copy protection to crack. All I have to do is just copy it. So, neener, neener, neener. I pirated your game, and it was super, super easy. So take that. And I'm like, I don't freaking care. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, so it, it did, you know, I'm sure that piracy did eat into my profits, but... You know, I happen to have been really, really lucky with uh, my dealings with, with with two of the three uh, of my dealings with uh, Tandy and, and Activision. And, you know, it, it, it got me some nice checks, and that was really nice. And they might have been a little bit higher if there hadn't been any piracy, but you might as well, you know, right. well, you know, when I, I might as well wish for a pony. Right, um, right. Now, as for Bomb Threat, uh, assuming I get this thing actually wrangled through, you know, which right now it's it's at a stage where it's like, okay, let me change this. Oh, that just broke the heck out of everything. Um, so it's a really at a frustrating phase right now. Uh, but assuming I get all the way through this thing, I, you know, it's like, will I put it on a cartridge? Well, you know, I'm really lazy. I don't, you know, it's like, I can put it on cartridge and it's like, that's extra expense up front. Uh, that's extra hassle up front. And I'm a really lazy guy. I'd be really tempted just to you know, hand that off to somebody else to do. Mm-hmm. But and I'm sure people would be willing to do it. But if I do that, then to be fair, you know, I got to get the, you know, I got to give them a cut. Um, yeah. And that's a little less out of you know, I mean. Uh, so you know, it's kind of a you know, the color computer is kind of a small pie right now compared to the past. And so, you know, you, you know. I mean, Temple of Rama, you know, basically, if, if you think of the, the, the scale involved, um, with Temple of Ram, with the first couple of checks, I bought a car. Uh, my, when I did uh, Delphi term as a shareware thing, uh, I made it up for, you know, a trip to Starbucks every two or three months, you know. And then uh, from what I hear, if you do a cartridge game now, uh, you're going to make enough overall for a nice weekend trip to Duluth, you know, which is nothing, that's nothing to sneeze at. Right. Uh, but it's, you know, it's smaller than in the past. So it's like, you know, you're not fighting over that, you know, that princely a sum anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, so will I put it on a cartridge? I don't know. It's a neat idea. I'm kind of, it's like, eh, I could, I could, might not. I, I'm not sure. So uh, probably, at this point, I think that the fairest thing for me to say is that I'll burn that bridge when I come to it. Sure, sure. Well, uh, for speaking for myself, and hopefully I'm not alone, I would love to see it on a cartridge since we are used to seeing Rick Adams' Tandy Games uh, mm-hmm. fed to us in a nice shiny plastic box. I would love to see that. Um, uh, Ed has basically mentioned this. Ed Snyder's mentioning this in chat, and I believe John Linville basically mentioned this in, in episode 24 of the podcast. I think they're basically saying what they also told Bruce Moore is that we'll do it for you. So between John Linville and Neil Blanchard, if you just wanted to pass everything to them, they will handle the entire production of that. That's just one source. You, we've also mentioned that you have uh, Jim Brain's flash cartridge. So there, I believe there are 
I believe there are people out there who you can use as a resource. And so then you just factor in what that cost is of parts and labor. And you, you just make sure that you get whatever expected amount of money you wanted for your game, no matter how you sold it. You just add the cost of that to the, to the, um, to the sale price. But I, I, I think there's a market for it. I think, again, mm-hmm. I like the idea of the different versions too, where if somebody wants a digital download versus buying it on a CD with a nice package versus buying it in the shiny plastic cartridge. I, I think, I think there's a market for all three of these. Um, digital distribution obviously is very easy to do. Um, there's a company that will produce CDs for you and DVDs. And so I've done that with my DVDs and we did it with Nick's pop star. So if you wanted to do a disc image on, on an optical disc, there are companies that can produce those for you and ship them out on demand and you set the price. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, that is a built in service that exists. Unfortunately, there isn't one of those online services that will produce cartridges on demand because it's such a unique thing, but right. we have resources for that. And and so um, I think it would be very cool to see Bomb Threat or any new Coco game on a cartridge um, and, and, um, and or to have that, it as an option, you know. I think that the chances of there being zero cartridge uh, copies of Bomb Threat is pretty low. Uh, I think that it's pretty likely that, you know, I would like to have one. Uh, you know, and there are certain people that would just love to have one. And it's like, I don't see why we shouldn't make that happen. Uh, on a larger scale, well, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. So and also, I want to I mention on piracy, too. I think today's cocoa market is a lot different and that it's all the diehards, the people that really want to support the platform, right. the ones that are still using it. So I don't think your piracy rate is going to be anywhere near as high as it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh, percentage for sure. Right, right. When I was explaining to... Uh, when I was explaining to people at work, I said, you know, I'm going off to this uh, computer convention, and this is kind of an unusual deal. Let me try to explain this to you. You know, and then I tell them about, you know, there's this computer that I did a couple of video games for way back in the day, and it got discontinued uh, a long time ago, and now I said, basically, the, the, the elevator pitch is, uh, there are 70 people in the world that give a rat's patootie about this computer <laughs> and they're all going to be in Chicago and they're all going to be wanting to meet me. And they think of me as like a hero, you know? So, just, you know, that's, that's how I explain it. And it's like, it isn't that I'm not a hero. It's just that I'm a hero when I'm very, it's kind of a small pawn. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 But it's, so uh, it's like, I show up at this computer computer convention, and I get to sign my autograph on things, which is just like that. That that's really kind of hard for me to, to wrap my head around. I mean, I understand it, but it's like, well, this is not something I never I ever thought that I would be doing, you know. So, uh, so I find it, you know, very gratifying, and I feel very honored. Uh, but on the other hand, it is it's a small pond. It's like you know, I'm an important person in this room, you know. It's not like I'm some worldwide celebrity. So, so it, it sounds like I'm running it down, and I, I don't want it to sound like that. It's just that I'm like a celebrity, but I'm not a celebrity. It's like I can't quite wrap my head around it. Well, yeah, yeah, you're you're being very modest, and that's fine. And, and yeah, and you're, you're basically saying you're a... Uh, a big fish in a small pond, which could be true for yeah. you know a lot of situations. I but the feeling. 
But I believe mm-hmm. I believe that the significance is bigger than the size of the pond in general because I believe it is part of history, and history is eternal. And the history of Tandy and Radio Shack and the color computer is bigger than the size of the pond, and it's bigger than the size of the community. And by the way, the 70 people that show up are part of probably a thousand or more people that make up the the, the, the documented Coco community. But there's only, right. you know, there, there's there's the people and then there's the people who are, have the means and wherewithal to get to Coco Fest. But yeah, I think the pond is a little bit bigger than we think it is. And I think the significance of this pond in the scheme of history and technology in the 80s and 8-bit eight and 8-bit is, is bigger too. Um, but uh, but uh, that being said, being modest is always a nice, uh, admirable trait as well. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. But I think the historical significance of what all of you have done for the color computer and 8-bit computing um, is 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 bigger than the size of the community or the number of units that were ever sold by Tandy. And this my humble opinion. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like the experience of you know people coming to me and saying, "Will you please autograph my cartridge?" <laughs> it's like, wow, that's really wow. Okay, yeah, I would definitely be happy to. You know. Yeah. Um, so the, you know the, that is not foolish. That makes me feel very special. And thank you for that experience. Well, I'm to tell you the truth, Rick. <laughs> Your autographed copy of that disc that you gave me is sitting in a frame right now with glass covering. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's cool. Mine's on a shelf, but I like the idea of framing it too. That's a good one. That's uh, you just raised the bar there, Bill Noble. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's got to be in the, you know, the domed plastic enclosure yeah. with the velvet. Well, I mean, to be... Well, it's almost there. <laughs> well, you know, when you when, when you and sold... And laser sensors so nobody well, breaks into it. <laughs> well, yeah, so so you provided for the auction. You provided a few of your remaining original copies of your original source code development discs that were part of Shanghai. So that is a very unique, rare piece of history, and I'm glad to own a piece of that history as well. But I even think that that might be something... That might be part of these special editions where if somebody wants to buy, like for me, I would love to have a copy of, um, of, uh, of bomb threat, uh, on a cartridge and on a, if you could do it on a real floppy and if you were going to provide autographed floppies of bomb threat, that would be a cool value added mm-hmm. thing. If you wanted to do an, an autographed copy of a floppy that had source code on it, even, you know, even though you're producing multiple copies of them, it's still a piece of history. It's still a piece of the product and the, um, and the um, production of this product, the process of making this product. Um, one of the things that I think would really be a good measuring stick, and Nick has a blog. You, I, I don't know if you are going to be blogging this, but there, there's got to be a way where you can track interest um, with like an online poll. How many people would like to purchase a digital-only copy? How many people would like to purchase a you know disc image-based optical copy? How many people would like to purchase of this? And then even better yet, I think I suggested this to you in Skype, is set up pre-orders where if somebody wanted to purchase the cartridge, and you figure the, the the street price of that might be forty dollars, fifty dollars, whatever it is. You ask for a pre order for everybody who wants one, and they send you the twenty dollars up front as a pre order for that. You already know how many you're going to sell, and you've already got the money in the bank to cover some of those material costs of getting this done. And and it's easy to have people raise their hand saying yes, I want one. But when somebody actually ponies up the twenty bucks for a pre order, that is a tangible metric that you can say, all right, I got forty people who want a copy of my cartridge, and I've now got you know, four hundred dollars mm-hmm. that I can use to start buying these materials. There, that I don't think is an unreasonable thing to do 
through a website or whatever, as well as expect somebody to do. And I, I would pre-order Nick's game today. I'd pre-order your game today if it was an option. So Right. That brings me to another topic, which is um, if I were to do a software blog, it's like uh, the guts of that usually is WordPress. Uh, what WordPress themes and or plugins would be good for a software blog? So somebody that actually does a software blog might be able to answer that question for me. Uh, the other thing is that on uh, my wife is listening to my voice in the background, and I'm about to say something that she doesn't know, and so she's <laughs> going to go, <gasps> um, <laughs> on a complete whim, uh, uh, what would you call it? A What do you call it? Impulse purchase. Yes. Uh, I bought templeofrom.com for 12 bucks. Ah, and, and I haven't done anything with it, so that might be a place where I put a software block. There you go. So, mm. so now you know. Templeofrom.com. <laughs> we'll probably have a conversation about this right after this call. You spent oh, twelve dollars. <laughs> uh, okay, somebody in chat just said to Alan Zeiser says I would pre-order copies of carts too. So yeah, I think. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. And, and, and that happens now with all the new games coming out for PC and for Xbox oh, yeah. and stuff. The pre-orders is not a foreign concept to consumers. Um, a lot of times right. if you do a pre-order, you get a special extra piece of DLC with your purchase where if you order Call of Duty in advance, you get a special camouflage gun to go with your character or something like that, you know. But, um, I like the idea of a plush toy, <laughs> you know, get the, <laughs> get the plush bomb with your pre-order <laughs> purchase. Or, or even you know, a customized so, version of the game that has your name in the credits as a thank you or something so, like that. Something like that. Yeah, people do that right. kind of stuff on Kickstarter all the time and stuff like that too, you know, yeah. where you get people to do stuff. So I think there are ways to track this and even, you know, kind of help subsidize some of the production costs by the whole idea of a pre-order situation. I think there's, you know, you, you want hard numbers. Kickstarter kind of scares me. Okay, uh, yeah. Because... They always want all of these different tiers of if you, you know, pledge this amount of money, we'll get you the special thing. It's like right. people always sort of get sucked into that and they start promising more than they can deliver. Yeah. And I've seen lots of Kickstarters where, you know, they take the money and the thing is like two years uh, after, you know, it was supposed to be fulfilled and there's no, you know, game yet. So right. I don't want to, I don't want to be there. Hey everybody, this is Bill Noble, co-author of Nitrous 9. You are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk show. Are you ready? For the forest of doom. You don't want to get caught in the oh. vaporware. Right. Right, right, right. Somebody right, I but... know promised a game and, you know, it's been two years and 
got like about eight hundred thousand dollars, and there's no game yet, and it's like, okay, I'm losing respect for this person. Right, right, right. Um, but I think I think there's a way to do it. I think there's a way to track and engage interest and and um, get some numbers to give you some projections on how many units you might sell. Um, mm-hmm. I think technology allows us to do that, and so that 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 might help you guys plan on this. Um, so I, I think it's a good conversation, and and, and <laughs> to to quote John Linville right now, we beat this one to death for now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, are we are we are we done talking about cartridges right now? Do you think? And Richard, uh, Richard, you haven't spoken a word yet, Chris Chris Lip, uh, <laughs> but we're glad to have you here on this call. Um, no, I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you. Yeah, we just yeah. heard you. All right, because I interjected a couple times and it's just kind of like. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe it was hard to tell who it was. So. That's fine. No, I, I'm not a developer. I'm a user. Uh huh. And uh, so my thoughts on the cartridge, though, is that they they are long lasting, and, and you can plug them into a multi pack, and you can have a choice. They, someone talked about the Coco Flash. That was another interjection I want to throw in there because that would be you could have multiple games on one cartridge and you can switch between them. Uh, and uh, so, like Nick, you've got a couple games going there. If you, if you ever did go cartridge, you could put your collection on a, on a flash type thing mm-hmm. and set it out. Uh, yes, it's going to be more expensive. <laughs> right, 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 right. It, but yeah, in the case of the co- in case of Jim Brain's Coco Flash, which wasn't designed to hold a single thing, that that makes the carts a little bit higher. But one of the things that Ed Snyder has been alluding to in the chat in the chat here is that the cost <clears throat> uh, between Flash and and ROM now is a, a very moot thing. So if you wanted to make a smaller scale Flash cartridge that could address the needs of reprogramming if you had to update your software that might be less than a $50 retail cost for just the cartridge um, but yeah I think there are options I think the technology exists I think we have people with experience to produce these and help guide uh, us in the direction of what the right solution is for each project because I imagine certain projects are going to some projects might not need bank switching they could fit on a single 16k or 16k ROM images some con- some of them won't need sound and so I think there's a lot of different options and I think from what I'm hearing and, and from you know I think John Linville is, is a great advocate for wanting to do this and he's and he's done the proof of concept the the parts exist and there are people willing to help with the assembly and production of this so i think the time is 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 ripe for more cartridges and i think there is a market but again each person's motivation to do it or not do it is going to be their own but um, speaking as a collector and a consumer and just a dreamer and a hoper uh, i would love to see as many new cartridges i want to see software at the end of the day the software is the most important thing as you've all said and if the game sucks you can put it in a freaking platinum shiny gold crusted box it's still not going to change the fact that the game sucks but um uh having new tandy cartridges to me is going to be a cool thing um, and I, and I think there's, there's enough, there, there's, there's more reasons and there's more options to get it done than there are for, um, you know, I think for every, for every hurdle that exists, there is a solution to that hurdle. Um, so it's definitely doable. And, um, 
you know, I think maybe a poll or a survey or a pre-order list which should help some of these developers say, okay, well, I've got, you know, 20 real people that have all ponied up $20 of real money uh, ahead of time to do this. So I know I'm going to sell those many. So it's not even a question of, well, will I sell them? You know, that might help gauge that market as well. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's great that it, that it's, it's out there. Um, even the ability to put something in basic on a cartridge is kind of a cool idea. Hey, Grant just got here. Okay. Hello, everybody. Sorry, I am not on the call today. I am still recovering from back surgery. Thank you for all your prayers and comments. I will return next week. I am having a cocoa recovery. <laughs> all right, Grant. It's good to hear from Grant. Grant just had his back surgery. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. Well, so we'll get up. We'll get off the cartridge train now. I mean, I think it's a great topic. I think it's, 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 um, it is, um, you know, it's going to it's going to offer us options in the future so that it's nice to know that we have options you know um the, the one of the other topics i did want to talk about was the actual coco crew podcast that um uh you know that just aired now we're getting close to 2 hours in this talk right now and i'm not in a real hurry to, i don't know if anybody else is in a hurry to get off right now if you have other commitments or not but we're coming up on um, quarter to four in my time, which is going on, you know, we're about an hour and 45 minutes. So we got, are we still good to talk for a few more things or do people have other pressing engagements to get to? No, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Good to keep going. All right. Hey. So, so, oh crap, David Ladd's here. I forgot all about that. Thanks for reminding me, David. <laughs> um, so let, before we get into the Coco Crew podcast, just wrap up discussion about some of the topics that happened there. I, I want to play uh, uh, something that here, here's what here's what blew my mind. All right. So I'm listening to the podcast and I'm driving into work to my second job and I'm pulling into the parking lot to get ready to teach my class at night. And I just get to the part where they finish the news segment uh, and and they're like, OK, well, we're going to play a commercial and then we're going to be right back. And then it was this commercial and I hear my voice. I hear, hey, it's original gamer Stevie Stroh. And I'm like, wait a second. How the hell did I get on this program here? And Mike Rowan had taken sound clips from different videos I've made and produced this whole really cool like hip hop song. And when I talk about a very well produced song, I mean, it's freaking awesome. So I want to play that right now for you guys to hear it. Did everybody get a chance to hear that? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty freaking awesome. I think it's, Mike Rowan is just way too talented for one human being. I, um, the guy I, is awesome. <laughs> so there's one that's called Gameplay Goodness, and I don't remember which one is which. So um, let me just try to play this one right now, and let's see if it comes hey, through. What's and going if it, on, everybody, it's me, it's original gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, Gameplay Goodness. Gameplay Goodness. Can you guys hear it? You know, Gameplay yep. Goodness. Yep. All right, people. Gameplay goodness. Thank you so much. You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. You know, gameplay goodness. Are you ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. Gameplay goodness. Are you ready for this? You know, gameplay goodness. Yeah. You know, gameplay goodness. You know, gameplay goodness. This is how we like to do Gameplay goodness. Alright, people. You know, gameplay goodness. Oh, this one doesn't have the talk over, I don't think. There's another one he did with the talk over. That's great. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that was one of Mike Rowan's latest creations. I mean, it's it. it I was shocked when I heard that. I was like, "Oh man, this is freaking awesome, man!" It's like um, this to be like immortalized in song by that. That was pretty cool. The commercials that he does, the um, the promotions, all like the fake commercials that he does for all these products. You know, doing commercials for like J and M disc controllers and <laughs> and you name it. It's just. Um, and factually it's, accurate ones, too. You know what I mean? And it's like the products that he creates uh, and the commercials he creates makes these um, uh, products sound sometimes even better than than what they might have been. Uh, or, or, uh, so let me do this. How do I get over to the I screen? I actually go right to now? the podcast to listen to those commercials. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so I'm pulling up right now. These are the show notes. And so... Um, Let's get into some of the news that was talked about. So they started off by talking about the passing of Bernie Appel, who was one of the CEOs of Radio Shack. Um, they did talk about um, uh, how birthday had uh, the, the uh, basic language had its birthday, which was kind of cool. There's um, a good documentary up on YouTube about the beginnings of basic two, which I yeah. think I put in the Facebook group. Yeah. That was a pretty cool uh, little thing there. Um, it did mention Coco Talk, which was kind of cool. Um, so I think we got some good, um, I got some good airtime there talking about Coco Talk. And and I think one of the things he mentioned was we we had planned or I had suggested we should do um, podcast wrap ups, but it just there hasn't been a podcast since we started, um, you know, or not that much time since the last Coco Fest and last uh, podcast and things like that. Um, so yeah, when you look at the news segment, so the news segment started at 35 minutes in and then the feedback section was an hour and 51 minutes in. So you can see there's just a lot of news. There's just a lot of things that they cover. And what I do like about a lot of the news that is covered is that it's not always specifically cocoa, but it's, it's retro and it just makes us aware that there is a slightly bigger universe out there. Um, and that, you know, retro is, you know, what is it? What is it? Vintage is a new old is the name of that website. But the other phrase is you can only be young once, but you're retro forever. You know, um, a lot of cool, a lot of cool items were brought up in the news. Um, I'm just trying to see if there's anything in here that comes to mind. If you want to, uh, Hugo DeFort, um, rebooting his gaming project, which is pretty cool. We've been watching, keeping an eye on that. Um, the idea of adding a 32-bit processor to the Vetrix arcade system was kind of a cool topic because it's basically saying we could add, we could create add-on chips to the Coco, and to some extent we are doing that with things like the Coco SDC and um, you know adding adding hardware and things like that. Um, what else in here in the news is probably and guys just uh, jump in at any time if there's something you wanted to talk about about the podcast itself it's pretty good now this is a topic that we talked about as well um, a week or so ago when it was brought up on Facebook about you know how much is too much which was also kind of their host discussion it's probably worth um, maybe maybe um, digging that one up again how much is too much on on a cocoa when is a cocoa no longer a cocoa should a cocoa remain stock or you know are we um, and, and and not only is how much is too much uh, on the hardware side or whatever but how much is too much to pay when it comes to dumping money into this this crazy hobby I thought that was a pretty cool topic um, uh, you know I think we did we did kind of beat it a little bit but is it worth talking again on some of our opinions on what's too much to add to a cocoa before it becomes a cocoa and your thoughts on these newer cocoa alternative uh, platforms and stuff I think it's up to each individual yeah <laughs> yeah to be honest right well something that I think I should maybe bring up with the cocoa 3 FPA projects 
is the face of that might change in the next couple of weeks. There's something Roger Taylor's got going right now that actually is going to wholly affect all FBA projects. In a good way, hopefully? In a very good way. Okay. So we're about to have the, the lids blown off of things here? Yeah, Curtis kind of has a little inkling of what's going on there. I do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Um, you know, uh, when it comes to adding things like, you know, do you, how much memory do you add to your cocoa? I, I, you know, I think we talked about that a little bit. 512. I mean, what the cocoa would have supported back in its time up to two megabytes or maybe in some cases more, four or eight megabytes of RAM at the software that supported it. Um, I think the discussion then started to, to lean towards, which I don't know if we tapped into it too deeply, but when we start talking about this Coco VGA project that Brendan Donahue is working on now, you know, he's, um, trying to address uh, a void where if, if you don't have a display to connect to, well, VGA is a way to do it. Okay. Well now while I'm doing that, now that I've got the ability to output the VGA, well, let's work on artifacts. And now let's work on, Hey, we can do a 64 column mode and we can do some color registers and we can add a few more features. Is that too much? You know? Um, and again, uh, we're probably all going to say that depends on the individual. And at the end of the day, what harm is it really causing if somebody chooses chooses to purchase this and get a few new features out of their cocoa that probably only they are going to be able to take advantage of because i don't think there's going to be global adaptation to everybody rewriting software for 64 columns and color register palettes and things like that you know it's kind of a niche thing is it too much my opinion no somebody else's maybe you know the Coco has always been a hobbyist computer though more so mm -hmm. than the commodore 64s and stuff i mean there's a lot of hardware development i mean Alpha Products Colorware used to sell like a 12-slot expansion board with custom hardware boards, and a lot of people made their own boards, including Bill. Um, that was just one of the things about the Coco that was an alert to a lot of the hardware people is that it was so easy to make additional peripherals for. There was tons of custom peripherals that people made for themselves, and they didn't try to sell them or, or give them away to anybody else either. So I don't think there is a limit to it because... It's up to the individual. It's what they're trying to do, what they're trying to learn to do. They might just do it as a learning experience. They might do it to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any problem with that at, at all. It doesn't well, have to just, be popular. I, I that's think just it, Curtis. It was very easy to actually make hardware for the Coco. Yeah. That was the one thing I really enjoyed and was able to do is in, invent all that stuff. Yeah. Like if you want to try to make a PC board for a PC these days, good luck. Well, I think it's also something we had in common with the Apple. Uh, dare I mention it, is the fact that you used to be able to add something on to it. Uh, you know, the signals was out, the processor speed was something you could still work with, you know, you know without being an expert on PC board layout. And uh, most of the signals you needed were just right there, the most common things you would do. And uh, you had a serial port. Guys were doing a bunch of stuff with MIDI, doing special add-ons for that. Yeah, it was a hacker's machine, really. Yeah. And uh, so whatever we do, I think, is keeping with the tradition. You know, I mean, take a look at all the Cocos on eBay these days. You see ones with like modified power lights and little switches mm -hmm. that people added in from ROM, write protector, whatever else. It always has been a hacker's machine. 
Yeah, the video that the 8-bit guy showed where he did the spray paint, we should probably talk about that too, but the spray paint restoration of the cocoa, how that one had the little LED in there and things like that too. And then, yeah, and, and a different keyboard as well. Yeah, that wasn't uncommon. So, I and so there there are, you know, there are what you would consider period correct mods that were done back then that would be done now that I don't think most people would have an issue with, but I think this particular person's issue was doing anything to the cocoa, keeping it. That was Cutter McGinnis, <laughs> which is a cool name too, right? But um, so yeah, so uh, and in his in his mind, it it's a '57 Chevy, and it should remain stock, and that's fine. That's his opinion, and and we and they talked about it on the podcast, and we've talked about it here. If you're lucky enough to have more than one cocoa, you could have the stock cocoa, and then you can have the cocos that you tinker on and do things. Um, so what is too much if if you put a 6309 in a Coco 1 or 2, is that too much? I don't think so. No. If you replace that CPU with some type of FPGA thing that all of a sudden turns it into a Pentium 4 with uh, quantum mechanic technology on top of that, is that too much? Well, for your project, maybe not. But for somebody else, they might say, well, now it's no longer a Coco because now you've added a, an ARM processor or something else. And now you've added a flux capacitor. And now you've added a dilithium crystal and, um, you know, and a, and a, and a Keurig, Keurig machine as well. So um, is it still Keurig a Coco? <laughs> I'll take the Keurig too. <laughs> hey, let's have some hot. I could use one of those. <laughs> so Actually, if you it... make upgrade, if you put a coffee pot on top of that sucker, it would warm up enough to be a coffee machine. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hot so cocoa. yeah. <laughs> if it's if it's a hot cocoa Keurig machine uh, hybrid, is it still a cocoa? You know, I oh, mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now it's a highly capable cocoa because it's making us coffee. <laughs> but even like adding on CPUs, like we talk about the six three nine, which is kind of like a standard replacement. It's been around since like nine. Yeah. Well, the chip's been around since the late eighties, but it was known for as, as an upgrade in the early nineties. But there's also been like z80 cards for running cpm multiple ones from multiple vendors back in the man, day man. Uh, chris burke was trying to get that six to eight thousand and eight rocket board he had prototypes done demonstrated them at coco fest he but to him for him to ma manufacture it he had to pre-sell i think something like 500 and he only got about 300 mm, pre-orders okay committed so we never made it but i mean he was ready to go that's cool yeah i mean it's it's, well, it's the same with the tc9 that we had curtis they had so many boards available for that too <laughs> wow oh, yeah the k-bus and everything else so maybe the takeaway from this is that the cocoa is in the eye of the beholder you know yes. it's just like what is a cocoa to you what is your definition of a cocoa we're all going to be different and doesn't mean anyone is right or anyone is wrong um from, oh, from definitely you know, from a collective's from a collector's perspective, I would love to have one of each model of a cocoa in a shiny, pristine condition, uh, possibly in the original packaging. That would be nice to have one of each cocoa in a box on a shelf or in, in a glass case to show off when you know people come in and say, "Let me look at your old crap collection." Um, for what am I going to use? What do I have in front of me right now? I have the Neil Blanchard cocoa I bought off of eBay. It's it's got some yellowing to it, but it works. It has. Some mods that were in it when I purchased it. So it has a 512K distro board. It has uh, the 6309 CPU in it. And it has a non-working RF output canister. So I can't get the RF out of there, but I don't care about that. You know, so uh, my Cocoa is not a pretty Cocoa, but it works. And that's what I do my gaming on and my recording on. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting for me to have one that was modified just to see what they're like. If I find one on eBay, I might want to buy one just to see what kind of weird thing they did to it um 
I don't know how much modifications I would reach out to do myself. I think I might start by trying to learn how to desolder and, and put on a socket to a Cocoa 3 and change out the CPU. That might be a project. You know, I might want to add extended basic to a Cocoa that doesn't have it or something like that. Um, simple things. I, I don't know that I would go as far as drilling a hole in a case and putting in an LED myself. Um, it's if you have one and it's done well and it doesn't look like a hack job, it's kind of almost a, an enhancement to the cocoa. But if it's really bad, um, you know, I've got holes in my wall where I tried to put up shelves and measured wrong and did thing wrong and, and screwed it up. And so now I've got just a, a freaking Swiss cheese wall over here. And I wouldn't want to do I wouldn't want to do that to a cocoa. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here and you're listening to Cocoa Talk. Where can you catch all the latest news and information about the Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles? Oh yeah. I'm talking about the Coco Crew Podcast. Dig it each month. Join John, Neil, and Mike as they lay down the latest news and information about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer and Compatibles. Move to interviews. Tech segments and discussions all about the Radio Shack Tandy Color Computer. Strut your fine self over to www.cococrew.org and start listening today. The Coco Crew Podcast. Keeping it Coco. <laughs> so well, my my leg upgrades were neat. I put them in the cooling slots. Yeah, that yeah, is kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's that. In fact, that's what I did on the my uh, recent MPI upgrade. Mm. Is, you know, I upgraded it for the Coco Three, and then okay, I've turned it on and off. No lights. Wait a minute, I had lights years ago. Oh yeah, I had to add it. Okay, a cooling. Okay, I got a slot here. And it goes LED. <laughs> well, you know that that raises the question now because, like, I'm, I'm under my desk now. I've got an Alienware tower where I can change the colors of all the LEDs on the side panel, so I can change what the little front badge looks like and what my side panels are. I can customize the colors on that. How hard would it be when you're talking about hacking and going too far and custom mods and LEDs? What about uh, color changing lights we can put on our Coco case that we could control through software? <laughs> that... I've actually seen some of those. I mean, there's some LED lights that tell you I'm running in low speed or high speed mode. It'll change from a green if it's in low speed to red oh, and it's yeah? high speed, for example. Yeah. Well, what yeah, about? Actually... It brings up a point too, Curtis, with your NoCan three board. They had those two LEDs on there. I have no idea what they do, <laughs> but uh, I rearranged them so that you could. Actually when was the turbo it? light to tell you whether the four megahertz turbo was enabled? I can't remember what the other one was off the top of my head. Yeah, because the only time that the one I could get any of the LEDs working was when I booted OS 9. <laughs> <laughs> the four megahertz light would turn on. I have well, a question. Yeah. Um, um, I wonder if it would be kind of a stupid use of a color computer, but I wonder if a color computer could drive uh, the Christmas lights that I have. Um, you would need uh, something that could output like uh, uh, a pulse signal that was five volts. 
Does hmm. it have anything like that? The Bitbanger won't do it, I don't think. Actually, it depends on how you're doing those uh, LED lights. I did an interface to an LED panel of 5x7 matrix with multiple sections uh, in the past. If it's using the same kind of technique, yes, it's possible. Yeah. I use, like, uh, I think it's uh, WS2811 controllers. That would be an yeah, interesting project. Like they basically have the Cocoa yeah. take over the job of the Raspberry Pi that's driving your displays right now. Yeah. Well, I think that'd be kind of crazy, but you know, it's just sort of <laughs> well, all like the I better reason. The system I did for actually. And that just make it normal Cocoa. <laughs> it was an RS two thirty two based, but it actually uh, did function and work properly. Yeah, I remember that because you had like scrolling Pac Man and text and all kinds of stuff yep. on that thing. Yeah, because Coco is the is the is the hashtag there. Because, because Coco. <laughs> when I put up the Pac Man during the keynote, that was that was probably the biggest horse laugh that, that I I got out of that. Right, right. It's a very identifiable character for sure. Um, I, I guess the one thing from the discussion on the on the Facebook post that you know caused all this, uh, the one thing I didn't like about the discussion was that there was quite a few people who just were negative. And I, even John Linville and a few others pointed out this, you know, like you don't have to be negative. You don't have to agree with it, but sure. accept the fact that somebody else, this is fine. And if they want to do it, let them. Don't yeah. discourage it. Um, mm-hmm. You may not buy it yourself if they offered it for sale because it's not something you're interested in. But right. that is by no means ridicule the person that is doing it. And if they're learning and having fun with it, that's the whole point. Right. right. The thing is, that we have we have a couple people who are known to be, how do you pronounce it? Curmudgeons. Curmudgeons. <laughs> And I was going to say S disturbers, just, but yes, go ahead. That's just what they do. Okay. Um, that that is sort of their shtick, and you know, I, I don't know about you, but long ago I got used to it. It's like it, there's certain there are a couple of people that I know specifically, and you know exactly who I'm thinking about, who are going to come up with responses like that, and we yep. have long ago become inured to it. Uh, but a, but a newcomer might not. So yeah, that, that's my. Well, that is kind of a problem. Like like some of the razzing that they gave the eight bit guy because he spray painted his cocoa and he was using oven cleaner or whatever else. I mean, why? <laughs> what, what? Why are you razzing him about it? Like, why is that a bad thing? It worked for him. Mm-hmm. Well, it matters. You know, the the reasons I I was critical about some of the things he did is he, uh, especially when he took a screwdriver to remove that label because he actually ruined that label, and uh, and and there's. Some of the other things, there's better techniques he could have used. And and he kind of went back to say, well, this is kind of, I do this for entertainment. But, you know, he was actually giving out information instead of entertainment. And I wasn't hating him on his character or anything like that. I was just, I, I was critical about some of the techniques that he was using. Yeah. But as he pointed out, I mean, sometimes when you do the research on the web, if you've never done it before, some of those other website stuff were recommending some of the techniques he was doing, and then other ones are saying not. It's just like anything else in it. You can find 15 people that agree and 15 people that don't. I think the fact that he put the effort in trying to restore it and shared you know, what he did and what he learned, and you know, maybe this didn't work out as well mm-hmm. as he had hoped or whatever, I think was the learning experience. I don't think he's mm-hmm. recommending that everybody else try to do it this way. And, I mean, if you have a better way to do it, Richard, maybe you should make a video and put it up as well, saying, you know, here's a better technique, and this is why it's better, and... You know, kind of like help the community that way. Pros and cons right. to doing certain things. I've had yeah. a lot of experiences where 
uh, what I get out of it is, uh, let me explain to you from my experience how not to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's my area of expertise. Yes, yes. Yeah. But um, I got my Christmas lights the first, uh, the first year I did it. I put them up with double-sided uh, sticky tape in the front windows. And that worked really, really well until it was time to take them down. At which point, <laughs> I broke one of my front windows. Oh. And that stayed for uh, a good long uh, a number of months during the... Uh, you know, during the winter, which in Minneapolis uh, area is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but the other, you... the other thing I was I was uh, getting on, it wasn't that I was hating it, but it was the case he was using was a first generation Coco One case, which, you know, he probably didn't know that. But it was just like, you need uh, to me, it was just if you're going to do something like that, try to be at le- least a little bit more careful, I guess. But uh, also he was talking about preserving history and. You know, again, it was just a technique or, or just, you know, some people when they uh, um, refurb something is you, you hear this a lot in the in, if you watch like that uh, PBS show that where they bring those the stuff up and they appraise, the, you know, the, the the items, you know, antiques. Yeah. 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 And so. uh they they tell them they mentioned that oh yeah we had this re you know re uh, refurbished uh, you know we had a new lacquer put on we had new uh, <laughs> artwork put on right. and they said well you know you just like erased R- a lot of uh, value right. on this and that, sure, and that was sure. one of the things you know you should consider when you start doing stuff like this I mean the the problem is especially with older machines um, we're they're not making these anymore. And uh, they're becoming fewer and fewer, and it's getting to the point of we're going from vintage to museum pieces. And uh, not not saying every single computer is a museum piece and we should treat it like a museum piece, but, you know, it's just some of those things we need to consider when you start doing modifying stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's I think it goes to the whether it's a restore or refurbish, too, because, I mean, if he was just trying to make it look nice again and close to what the original he wasn't, I don't think, so concerned with you know trying to do it with like, the stock paint they used back then, and right. And yeah, I mean, it, that's. I mean, he had a different goal. I think he's he's not doing it as a collector per se. He just wants it to look right. good as presentable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's exactly yeah. it. It's it's up to the person whether he wants to actually restore it or just make it to what he wants. Yeah, but, but when he was saying that you know there was a history behind this, this was a power user. Basically, when he when he when he uh, painted over it. You know, all those that those paw marks, you know, where, where the guy typed on it, that w- that was all erased. And, uh, and of course, then when he threw away the box or he said he threw away the box, I was just, you know, you never throw away a box no matter what condition it is, because sometimes you can actually restore those or you can take measurements or, you know, you, you can document those things. And uh, there's people that will actually will save those boxes no matter what condition they are. Hmm. Yeah, oh, I mean, he's describing it as being moldy and stuff, and in that case, I would have thrown it out too because it could be a health issue. <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> so, and it's, 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 it's like doing coca modifications of any sort. It's it's up to the individual, I think. Sure, sure. Because right. sure. what you're comfortable with and what he's comfortable with, obviously, are two different things. Right. I actually, speaking of painting, I like the discussion of maybe taking some cocos and doing the Darth Vader cocoa where you've got a fully black cocoa. I think that's kind of cool. And then if you want to get into some mods, I wouldn't mind a black cocoa with some cool LED effects on it, maybe even a breathing sound at that point. <laughs> You're alien wear cocoa box. 
<laughs> you don't know the power of the 6809. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, and, and, and the other thing is, I don't mind people, you know, if it, people should use computers to their full potential. And, and I see no, no problem with uh, modifying or modding any of the computers. I mean, it, I do it, you know, I do it on my computers all the time, but sometimes there are just a few machines like that reversion C board that I got or Coco one that will never get modified. Uh, I have a Coco three that I got, I received it. It's in mint condition. As a matter of fact, the, the label that they put the, the protective label that they put on the, when you first buy them is still on that one. And it still has the new electronic smell, even after 35 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. I am never going to touch that one. That one is actually you know, Richard. You mentioned the Coco Three or the Coco Seaboard, uh, and I've never actually seen one of those. I had heard a few had gotten out in the wild. Uh, have you put oh. pictures of that up anywhere? I'd really like to see that. Yeah, I would really like to see that myself. I, I posted a couple of them, but uh, I'll do a complete. Uh, I'll do a whole bunch of them because also the CPU does not have the sixty-eight oh nine markings. It has the uh, internal. Um, mm. uh, uh, Motorola number. Is that the one that I saw? That's oh, the one that I sold you, right? The, the yes. 1000 some series. Yeah, I remember that, Richard. Right. And then it, there's also a ton of uh, uh, internal uh, uh, factory mods that are on that thing, too. So, Yeah, no, I'd really like to see. I, I do remember hearing about them. And I have met, like, Lee Veal had the uh, D-board number one serial mm-hmm. number, which is the first one that came off the line. So I was surprised that they actually had some C-boards out because obviously that was an earlier revision. Right. Well, probably what happened was uh, the seaboard, the it might have accidentally gone out, but you know, a lot of times what will happen is a board will, if it gets rejected, it goes into the tech area, it gets repaired, and then uh, it usually goes back into the production and, and reintroduced to, so they can ship it out. And that's that might have happened with this particular machine. Uh, but this particular machine was, uh, I have a date stamp on it. It was September 20th, I believe, 1980. Is uh, oh. its internal stamp on it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Let us know when you get the oh, everything posted up on that because I would definitely like to see that. I've never actually seen a seaboard in the wild. Right. I've never seen one at all. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Yeah. This one is a 16k. It, it's a. It was a 4k originally, but uh, it's a 16k, and also the uh, 16k chips are NEC chips, but they have a, a the Tandy logo uh, relabel on them. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not shooting myself uh, every day. I think about the fact I sold you that rare museum quality cocoa now either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic, and I and I and I think you know I think definitely the cocoa is in the eye of the beholder. I think there's something to be said too when you start talking about well, if we're gonna make a new cocoa. When does it stop becoming a cocoa? Well, technically, it stopped becoming a cocoa the minute you made something new because it's not really a cocoa. If it's an FPGA and it's you know or a, 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 the, you know the cocoa on the chip, the Roger Taylor thing, whatever it is, it technically never was a cocoa because it's a modern reimagining of the cocoa. It's a cocoa inspired new device. Um, uh, it, it, to me, one of those devices, as long as it's 100% backwards compatible with re, with original Cocoa software, you can't expect it to run all the peripherals, but if it's 100% compatible with the gimme and the sound and all that kind of stuff, and it can run all that software, and it's basically, you know, hardware-based emulation, 
and you have you maintain that as a core. So you have a core Cocoa compatibility component. Anything else you add on top of that is kind of a bonus feature that you could either choose to like or not like or use or not use. But um, again, you're talking about preserving things and um, there, there aren't going to be, you know, Cocos won't be around forever. Um, so if somebody wants to get one and, and, you know, Coco threes are hard to get, to get a hand on right now. So they're not as common on eBay. Um, they, they tend to sell, you know, go up to about $300. Maybe not everybody wants to drop $300 on an old Coco three, or maybe they want to, and they can't afford to. So what's another option? Well, we do have the raspberry pie as an option, the Coco three pie, which you can get for, you know, 50 bucks. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to get one. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works now with the speech sound pack. Um, and then you have all these other projects that are making new and improved Coco-esque type devices. You know, is, is that too much? Um, well, you know, I guess it depends on who's doing it. Not everybody's going to buy it, but for the people who are buying it, uh, they probably think it's cool. I know Bill Noble, you're heavily involved in, in working on you know, that stuff right now. And do you think it's too much? Or, you know, you've got some history well, with the cocoa. That's, in, you know, kind of the thing where it kind of transitions. Like the FPGA stuff, yeah, it's new cocoa. It's not old cocoa. Right. Whereas the actual cocoa itself died when Tandy stopped making Okay, Richard. Take care, Richard. Yeah, the, the, the cocoa died when the cocoa stopped being made from Tandy. Right. Right, right. So now what we're coming up with these FPGAs is new cocoa. It's not the old cocoa. Yes, it's compatible, but not the original. Mm-hmm. Right. And and like so what what would it roughly cost right now if somebody wanted to buy a cocoa FPGA or the cocoa on a chip? What's what's the what's the out of pocket expense to get that system and all the parts right and pieces with- needed? I'm not sure about Gary's uh, version, Gary Becker's version, uh, mm-hmm. but I know with Roger's version, it's going to cost you about 230 bucks, okay. roughly. Okay. Uh, so- with Gary's version, it's roughly around the same area, but I see the, on his uh, posts on the blog and everything like that that things aren't quite the same, but they're getting there. Okay. Okay. And, and some people might view that as maybe too much to spend on a new thing that's not, you know, not maybe that important. But again, it's, this is a hobby. This is a special interest situation. It's, you know, we're all a, a certain kind of crazy, a special kind of crazy to want to use any kind of cocoa, a new cocoa, a real cocoa, an emulated cocoa, a, a reimagined cocoa. You know, there's, there's, there's a certain group of people who find this interesting regardless. So it's, it's kind of, um, you know, I look at it as being kind of hypocritical to even pass judgment about this because how you want to use your 35 year old weird thing from the past, um, is your kind of crazy because anybody else who's not into this is going to think we're all crazy. So, you know, you can't sit here and say, well, because I, I'm running nitrous, uh, nitrous nine and I'm running an operating system and I'm running programs. Well, I'm doing cocoa a legitimate way. There is really no true legitimate way to do this old crazy stuff we're doing it's we're doing we're doing our our flavor of crazy i think you know hello i am the speech and sound pack and you are listening to Coco talk 
Tandy Assembly offers attendees a unique opportunity to meet and interact with other fans of Radio Shack and Tandy computers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Something new is here. Speakers include TRS-80 creator Don French, author of Star Trek III and Dog Star Adventure Lance Miklas, and game designer Scott Adams of Adventure International. Vendors include Bartlett Labs, Cloud9, Neil's Computer Service, Retro Innovations, Retro Tinker. Meet podcasters from Floppy Days, The Coco Crew Podcast, TRS-80 Trash Talk, and YouTube sensation, the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Join us for two days of retro computing fun in Chillicothe, Ohio, October 7th and 8th. For more information, visit our website at www.tandyassembly.com. And like well, Richard that... said, like he he likes restoring computers to you know to have them as a, as something that's you know worth money because it's and, and worthy of history because it's the original mm-hmm. and whatever else. My cocos are all in use. I use them for programming and development and sometimes playing games, or whatever else. I could care less if the case is yellowed and, and both mm-hmm. of mine are. Right. It doesn't matter to me at all. You know, it, it's got a six three zero nine and eight mega RAM. That's what matters to me. Right. What is it so doing? It makes my yeah. development easier. So I mean, it just right. totally depends on what you're into. Well, and I that's also just it, Curtis. Like uh, I actually still use the Coco Three you gave me, in actually developing a lot of the stuff for the FPGA. Hmm. <laughs> Believe yeah, it or not, <laughs> I, I have nothing wrong with uh, people doing that. As a matter of fact, the stuff that I do restore is uh, like I have a bunch of Coco Twos, and I'm actually going through and I'm taking, removing, and doing recapping them, and I'm also taking out some of the sockets because they were the single DIN ones. And uh, also putting 6309s in there as well. So, uh, and because I want to make them useful. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to put them on a pedestal where people just worship them. I I want them to be used. And and uh, I also am probably going to uh, add like the uh, uh, the composite uh, mod on there as well. Yeah, and then on like you said before, like your seaboard. That's a rarity. I mean, that is a collection piece. So that one you're going to leave unmodified. Right. And, and both approaches are right. I mean, if somebody else had the seaboard, then they're going to go, I want to see if I can hack this thing to actually handle 64K because I heard that was really hard. You know, it, it just depends on the on the person. And no answer is wrong. Right. right, right no, right, there right, never right. is an a wrong answer. Right, right. It's, it's, well, it's there, there's the saying that I, uh, that, I've, that I said once before is you get two people in the same room, you get three different opinions. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, all of us on like a, to use our computers, our own way and that's one of the appeals to the coco um back when i was a teen i you know drilled a little hole put a switch in it like i said in the the side panel and put in a switch to attach to the halt line so i could pause games walk away when my parents made me stop and then i'd come (laughs) back and flip the switch and go back to right where i left off without having to shut the machine off um and when I got the first XT keyboard interface, yeah, I drilled a hole in the side, put the little mount, and I could just plug the keyboard straight into the side of the Coco. Was that a good thing? For collection-wise, no, but that was in the early 90s. So That's most in the people, hacker mode as opposed to the collector you, mode. You, you 
that wasn't the appeal. It was the usability. Sure. Modify it, make it usable. So, yep. hey, if anybody went to Coco Fest back in the nineties, if you remember Frank Swagger, he had his Coco with a built-in little five-inch color screen and a big wooden panel case he had handmade, and it was wow. a portable Coco with a couple wow. of drives. He would just you know, lug it around with a little handle and and plug it in. Coco luggable. That's kind of yep, cool. I remember that one. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. Now, if you're a collector, that's an abomination. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. It, it, sure. Looked, it looked homemade. It did not. It did not look like a professional job, but it did yeah. what he wanted. He wanted uh, something portable uh, with a screen built in, drives built in. It was like an Osborne. Yeah, so, somebody did. It was last year at, at Coco Fest during the auction. I forgot what it was, but it was something like a cassette deck or a stereo receiver component or something that had been made into a, the Coco was made into that component type thing too. So the front of it looked like a cassette player or, or, or you know a preamp or stereo tuner or something, but it was a Coco. <laughs> yeah, and there was and tons was, of PC pack reca- or you know, yeah, re- the repacks pack cases and stuff. Yeah. And- that was a topic on the podcast too about repacking too, which is which is interesting. Um, yeah, I I am in favor of leaning more towards the keep it as stock as possible, but I would be open to uh, having a, a, a little bit of both. You know, if you're if if you're able to, you know. Um, I, and I, I am receptive to definitely the Raspberry Pi project because it's just it's fiscally more practical, you know, to spend fifty dollars on something I don't need right now because again I've got real cocos and I can emulate this. So do I need a Raspberry Pi? Absolutely not. But is it cool? Absolutely, right? So um, I, I'm looking forward to trying the Raspberry Pi. I don't know if I would jump into this to the deep end of the special kind of crazy pool to get a cocoa on a chip, but maybe you just never know. You know, I've seen some really cool screenshots of like Alan Huffman showing the different scan lines on the things and, and recreating what the RGB monochrome screens look like and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So there, there's definitely some cool factors to it. Um, you know, it's just like any other project. I don't think any of them are trying to get rich in it. They're spending a lot of time and energy creating something for the love of this machine and for the love of their project. Um, and, and there's definitely people who are interested in it and are supporting it and stuff like that. So, um, Well, that's just it, it, Steve. Both Gary and Roger are doing this totally for non-profit. They're yeah. not doing any of this for profit. They're just right. for trying fun. to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. So, um, it's cool. It's cool. The fact that we're still here talking about the Coco 35 years later, the fact that we've been doing this weekly talk now for, this is now number 11. We've been talking about this for, we've been doing this 12 weeks now. We still have people watching us right now. How many people are watching us right now? We have, I don't know, how many? Nine people. We, we, were, up, we, were, we were up and down between a you know, dozen, dozen and a half people. we got nine people watching us right now. Um, and these things get like a hundred views. Um, yeah, so there's people still interested in this. And so I think there's enough of us to keep the dream alive, keep the cocoa alive in our hearts, in our minds and and whenever possible in our homes and things like that. So it's just cool. If you're a fan of the cocoa, there's no such thing as too much, right? It's just like cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, you know, and it's just, I gotta have more cocoa. Um, would it be cool to see, uh, this new gimme? Uh, yeah. Yes. Ed Slime's new gimme. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Is that too much? I don't think so because that is an actual piece of hardware you're sticking into your actual cocoa. So you plug in a new gimme, and if it also, if it happens to be a Keurig machine and it happens to be a garage door opener and, uh, you know, and, and it streams Netflix, hey, more power to us, you know? So, um, 
it's it's all good. So um, yeah, yeah, I'd be looking forward to a new gimme chip that slices, dices, and juliennes. You know, um, throwing well, a bam- I- throwing a bamboo steamer on the side and uh, call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd like to also see a, a option for maybe um, where you've got uh, Coco Three that might have a damaged logic board. Maybe an option to maybe get a few reproductions of the boards made, just to keep. If you've got an original case, you got everything else, but your board's damaged. It'd be nice to be able to just replace the board, stick the gimme in it, and yeah. everything else. You know what? That that actually is a very good idea, David. Oh, and it came from David even too, which makes it even more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, John, you were about to say something. Yes the 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 fact that the uh, core. Uh, the psychoactive core can go on a, a Godil board and plug into the Coco is also a very interesting prospect. Yeah, so, Eric brought that up. Uh, say I'm that not. again, because I didn't understand a word you just said. They they make a small uh, board that has just the CPU on it, basically, and a fill program or Gatorade. But there's also a version of that which is hard to get because they don't produce that many of them, that you can have a program as the 6809, plus it has a debugger channel on it. You can actually put single steps in the hardware on a Cocoa, so it becomes a hardware ICE in-circuit emulator for you on the Cocoa for testing things out. That's one of my one (laughs) ones. Ed Snyder says the prototype is nearly done of his uh, of his new gimme, and I'm just asking him if Netflix streaming is built into that yet. So <laughs> <laughs> that might be round two. Um, now that's cool. It's just it's just cool that there's so many things that we can do to add on to what makes a cocoa cocoa. I think I had asked this question a while ago. Maybe it was in the Facebook group or any other things like that. But because we have like things like Mame and Mess, and and we have um, the ability to emulate all these different systems. What if somebody just designed the supercomputer that has all these things emulated into one master system that's got one of every chip where we've got a Gimme chip and a 6809 and we've got a 6502 and we've got the Atari Pokey chip and we've got this and we've got that and we just make this imaginary super emulated system that has one of everything and we just write, you know, what if there was one computer that had no limits, but it was all period appropriate. And we had all the different chips that the, the best of everything. And we, we designed a new super system. What would that be like? And how cool would it be to maybe develop some software for that? You know I mean? And that's probably a huge, well, big pie in the sky type thing. But uh, that sounds like uh, one ring to rule them all. One yeah, ring well, to, you know, something, <laughs> something looks good, but turns evil. <laughs> <laughs> Takes over our souls and turns us into wraiths, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. My, they, my precious, my precious. <laughs> yeah, it's called the do. Forbin Project, if you uh, remember that movie. Hmm. I do. <laughs> Which project? The Forbin. Forbin. Okay. Um, yeah, and and, um, and Darren Grant just chimed in. Hello, Darren, Mr. Tandy himself. Um, and he's, and how do you pronounce Eric's name? Is it Gavrilek? 
Eric, yes, yeah, he's. He, I believe and, so. Yeah. And Darren mentioned that yeah, Eric has been promoting the idea of a drop-in motherboard for a while. You know, so if you want to develop something, why not make just a generic motherboard where everything is you know either slot or or you know socket capable, and then just develop away and have a standard kind of hardware development platform. Add a sound mm-hmm. chip while you're at it. Add a sound yeah. chip while you're at it. <laughs> right. So yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the, the well, cool. Whether it be the AY or the seven. What is it? Seven and I'm not sure the part number on that one, but uh, would John would chime in, chime in on that. I'd have to look it up. It's a big long number. It's seventy six yeah. <laughs> or ninety. BR five four nine. Alpha Romeo. Charlie. <laughs> Whiskey Tango uh, Foxtrot over. <laughs> yeah, or Alpha Charlie Eight. Mike Lima. Uh, <laughs> That happens to be my call letters, but there is some systems out there that emulate multiple systems. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's always a possibility. There's been talk about getting the Cocoa ported to that. Uh, some fill program or Gatorade systems do use a, uh, serial EEPROM to load the system in at start. So I could foresee a possibility to have multiple systems programmed that you throw a switch on startup and it start up in the version that you want it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, not cheap items. Right, but, right, know, right. It's, it's yeah, when definitely you talk- a doable possibility of somebody the right smarts well when you, you, you just made me think of something too because we're talking about how the coco fpga the cost of that is about 200 dollars, and that's there's no profit involvement that's just what it costs to buy the parts i don't remember the name of the product but there is a nintendo uh clone out there that's selling for 500 dollars. that's all fpga based where they basically cloned all the chips through fpga and it's a luxury you know really nice fancy nintendo clone thing but it's selling for $500. It's like the Rolls Royce of, you know, hacked retro systems. Um, and then uh, Darren Grant just chimed in. It's the SN74 76496 sound generator. This is one that John's using on his cartridge. There you go. SN76496. There you go. It's a BR549. Um, so, uh, hike, hut, hut, hut. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I guess the FPGA is is not always going to make things super cost effective, but it seems like it is this universal hardware magic box that can become anything. Like say, one ring to rule them all. Um, it's cool stuff. There are lots of options, um, but we'll we'll probably let's 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 start to plan on winding down this show for today because my stomach's telling me it's time to gra- grab my sub sandwich that's in the fridge out there. Um, we, I think the last thing that I was thinking about talking about, which we can say for another time, unless it's something that doesn't require a great depth of time, but there was the topic of assembly language versus machine code that had come up this week in the mailing list and on the Facebook group and how, you know, the actual machine code is a bunch of hex symbols that the processor reads. But when we type in a statement in assembly, we're typing in a shorthand. Assembly is shorthand for machine code and the CPU actually reads machine code. Is that a quick uh, synopsis yes. of it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not necessarily hex code in the machine. It's actually just, you know, on and off line. Yeah, it's binary. We, Straight up binary. CPU binary, is binary. It's binary, it's which we translate oftentimes to hex code because it's a little, hex is a little easier to read. Right, human readable. Uh, especially into the cocoa. Now, in some processors, you probably want to do octal because 
you can see where the instruction sets are broke down a little bit better. But hex works well with the 6809 because the uh, way the things are, are set up in the thing. You know, I still remember some, you know, some of the hex codes in like 86. Low day. Immediate. Low day, yeah. <laughs> and uh, see, he remembers even. Uh, <laughs> or string 1080 for load X. Yeah, and so you, you do those things. You learn some of those, but it's, uh, you know, uh, the difference between assembly and machine language to me is, is mute in most cases. Hey, I'm John Strong, author of Bomb Squad, and you're watching the original <laughs> Gamer CV Strong. Radio Shack has something for everyone this Christmas. Like an AM FM clock radio with snooze button, brightness control, and battery backup. Only $29.95. <laughs> or a stylish telephone with one button memory dialing and handy hold button. Just $69.95. For real convenience, get a cordless telephone. Use it anywhere in or around the house. On sale for $99.95. Radio Shack. This Christmas, it's your electronic wonderland. Now, the difference is that you can go and do some other things assembly. You start doing the macros and, and things like that, which can be, you know, a step above uh, the machine language. Mm. I remember it was one of the guys who did uh, the Cocoa Fest. He says, oh, I never use assembly. The guy wrote one of the, uh, I think it was 256 Basic or something for the Cocoa or something like that. I always just poke in the machine language. Well, you know, he, he learned those enough that he assembled it in his head, you know. Oh, wow. And created it. And so, you know, there's always those exceptional, you know, quirky <laughs> geniuses. That was, was, was his name by any chance Rain Man? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know, so there's there's that you know assembly yeah. language is is a great way to to put it there but you know you get some extra features to make them more reusable you know yeah uh, I mean like trying to calculate like branch offsets or something like that always confused me because they're signed and you know, doing it by hands without symbols so much easier. Do you remember how much trouble we had with that, Curtis? <laughs> with Nitrous well, 9? Six, three, oh, nine, cause we didn't have an assembly. We hadn't written one yet, so we were doing all of Nitrous 9 was hand assembly. Yeah, that was fun. And so you, you have those, you know, but the, the assembler adds some extra features, you know, that's a, a feature of the assembler, not the assembly language, so to speak, because the assembly language matches. You know, it's a one-to-one -one correspondence to the machine language. Okay. Now, the assembler may may do some things, and some common things in the assembler is to be able to use this, uh, symbols, okay, and labels. And then this steps it back off because then the assembler figures these things out and said, you have to do it. Because you can have a assembler that doesn't, you know, use labels, you know, are symbols, and, you know, which possibly could be in something like a debugger and you'd be able to, you know, 
inner uh, assembly command and it, it calculate it, but without using those features. For so you know, you know, originate addresses, symbols, labels are something that's not necessary assembly language itself. These are tools or parts of the assembler to make it easier for you to develop for it right. and to take away some of the work. But the actual assembly language, again, it's a one-to-one correspondence. Um, you know, I'm... The you know, difference, is the difference, though, that in assembly, it would be something that resembles slightly closer to English than just the actual hex code itself? Yes. Yeah, like a, a lot of times it is. Uh, sometimes it's not. You know, it doesn't really make, you know, sense. But oftentimes those are chose to make sense if you know the processor, right. that it kind of makes a sense. And the Molarolas and the only 8-bits, you know, a lot of times made a lot of, you know, kind of sense once you knew what they were doing. But those could vary drastically from different machines. Uh, uh, uh the 6502, the 6809s, those were similar. You start to, if you have it, it's the 80, you step over the that. Some of those instructions really don't make it sense, you know, until you study it. And uh, if you do something like the RCA Cosmic, the, the 1802, you've got another set of instructions. And, and, you know, until you know what it does behind, those abbreviations really don't make a lot of sense to you. Mm hmm. But once you learn the processor enough, they're called a monomics for one a reason. Monomics is not and is not abbreviation. Right, okay, so it's, it's a word that it, means it, something else. Yeah, it's 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 a memory tool to match something else. And so yes, they are abbreviations by the strict sense of the word. But they're monomics because in most cases they're they're designed you know a set of letters to remind you what function does okay which and in reality so, get converted to the actual machine core right. right and at the end of the day the processor really only processes binary right it's processing right. zeros and ones it's an eight-bit processor it's processing eight zeros and ones each cycle our multiple cycles to process yeah. it but yeah. you know it's you, know, you um, have a load cycle and such no, it's it's definitely cool stuff. Maybe we can figure out a way to, to, to show that visually at some point in time in the future. There's actually two more things I do want to talk about, though, too, because I think when we talked to Sockmaster last week, that was after our Coco talk, right? Was, Sockmaster was on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. I yeah, that was Sunday, been, yeah. Yeah, so I think we had the Sockmaster um, uh, uh, discussion after our last Coco talk. Hold on, now Darren Grant is, is, is chiming in in the chat here. He says, at college I attended, we learned to program on an Intel 8080 microcomputer trainer. It just had a hex keypad and a seven-segment LED, uh, LED display. Had to use an instruction set reference sheet to look up the hex codes. I still remember... Um, DB is the move immediate instruction for some reason. <laughs> so that's well, kind of cool. I have to agree with that too, Steve, because yeah. I first learned machine code on 1802. Oh, wow. And wow. then you get different CPUs that are actually like don't have registers per se, like some of the old HP ones that were stack based. Everything you did, math, commands, yeah, jumps, uh, everything else is all stack based. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think oh. it's probably, it's, it's probably worth just, you know, reiterating the fact that we had a really, a really good 
session with uh, John Kowalski and Sockmaster talking about um, Donkey Kong Remix last weekend. Um, and, and that's just, I think, one of the one of the many cool things that is cool about our community. And I think some of the fringe benefits that's come when we created this Skype call to do Coco Talk. You know, one of the fringe benefits was, you know, Rick Adams getting back into working on Bomb Threat. That was unexpected, nice um, bonus thing here. Having Sockmaster chime in every now and then just in the text chat. He was chiming in one time. I remember one evening, Sockmaster and, and Nick and I, we were just chatting back and forth for a while. And we ended up looking at his donkey kong jr remix on youtube and he was just talking at length about that and everything else and we were able to ask him questions and then it was like sunday morning he mentions i don't remember how we got on the topic of of donkey kong remix but i just kind of said well heck if you know if we're going to do a video would you mind talking about it too because it'd be great to hear it from the source and we just kind of it just happened spontaneously we planned it we did it and it was a really good video to number one, listen to him talk about that process. What was it like to disassemble Donkey Kong? What was it like to port Donkey Kong to the Coco? And what were the challenges and all these other things? And then to take that, which was already impressive, but then to make a whole new version, a reimagining of Donkey Kong in this Donkey Kong remix, it's it's really it's really impressive. And and by playing the game, you really have an appreciation for not only the game and the mechanics, but everything he had to do to make this new version of the game. Um, and so it was a pretty cool experience, I felt, for me. For number one, it's very rarely I play a game that long without sucking at it. And then um, number two, just having John there, John Kowalski, talking about it, and then having Curtis asking a lot of good value-added questions about you know the competitive aspects of Donkey Kong and everything else. I feel it was a very good interview and a good video, and it was a good... Uh, it was a good opportunity to capture this information um, for everyone else. And I think the feedback now to that video and that interview has been pretty positive. But I was kind of alarmed to hear that when Donkey Kong Remix first hit the scene, it was not necessarily well received. And I think that came up in the discussions as well. And that kind of blew my mind. I'll shut up on that now. <laughs> Can't hear you, Curtis. Great. Uh, the fact that Donkey Kong wasn't that popular to start, I think, is because a lot of people didn't believe it was real. Ah, like when you put the video yeah. up, a lot of people going, "That wasn't that was Mame. That wasn't a Coco. You're lying." Mm. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't was... real. It 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 was a duplicate. <laughs> yeah, and, and then some people you know only had 128k and they didn't have 512k, so they said, "You can't prove it to me that it, it runs because it won't run on my machine." You know, it's just ridiculous how yeah. silly it was getting. Were but... these were some of these people these curmudgeons I've heard of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there were other platform curmudgeons at that. Time. Oh yeah, oh even even worse, huh? Outside <laughs> haters and naysayers, huh? But yeah, I thought that was a nice. Um, I, I I think that was great to really kind of capture that whole discussion about that project and that process and really take a, a, a little bit longer look at the game because I had never seen the game that long because prior to that, I never got past the first level with those weird little ramps coming in towards the well, center. That, it's a wicked hard it, game. Steve. <laughs> that's just it, Steve. John let us in on a couple of good get-arounds on yeah. some of the levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that was kind of cool. So I think that's is worth mentioning too, because that happened after our last talk, and that was that was another nice little thing that happened this week in Coco. And then one more thing too, um, I do want to pull up the Tandy Assembly site, which, and by the way, I am I haven't made my reservations, but I'm definitely going, and um, I'm going to carpool with I'm going to carpool with Michael um, uh, Brandt. I'm going to drive up to Orlando and we're going to drive together. It's like, it's going to be like a 12 hour drive for us. So we're going to go, we're going to split the cost. So we'll split the rental car. We'll split the gas. We'll split the hotel. So it should be, 
you know, a, a manageable um, trip for us. But they now have um, now if you when you click on the exhibitors page now, they've actually got the layout now. And so right now they've got 26 um, different tables arranged here, which is pretty cool. It's a nice layout and reminds me of Coco Fest quite a bit. Um, and then right outside that room there is the um, speaking room here. So it's in a separate room, but it looks like it's right next door. Um, again, similar to Coco Fest, but this looks like a pretty nice arrangement for the speaking room as well. No, um, when you right now when you look at the schedule, and so yeah, let's let's look at the speakers too because we got a few more people confirmed now. So now we have Scott Adams uh, of Adventure Game uh, fame. We have Don French telling the um, the story of making of the TRS eighty, and then Lance uh, is it Miklas? Miklas, oh cool! I didn't know he was there. From bank robbers to Facebook, so we've got some 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 good um, uh, speaking uh, things coming on right now. When you look at the schedule, what I like about this too as well is that right now these talks are not back to back. And so if I had any one um, complaint about Coco Fest is that these talks were never ending, it'd be nice to have a break in between them so you could spend some time back in the um, exhibitor area and things like that. So it's like there's a morning one and there's an after lunch one right now, you know, so it is kind of broken up. So Scott Adams will be kicking off Sunday. Uh, the keynote will be kicked off Saturday by um, Don French. So, so there are things you know coming coming through now. The website's looking good. Seeing what this area is like. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm barring unusual circumstances. I am going to be at Tandy Assembly, and that was another conversation that came up in Facebook. Was you know somebody says, well, you know, I'd like to get there, but you know, I can't get there till I retire. You know, and you know, it's like, you know, I threw out my little comment that you know, it's you, you got enough time to figure out a way to make this happen. That's just my opinion, not to poo-poo on anybody else. But yeah, when when you have an event that's only once a year, you've pretty much got 364 days to plan how you're going to get there and figure out the finances and the transportation and things like that. Talking about Coco Fest, you know, and so. Um, you know, same thing of Tandy Assembly. I, I think this is a, a good way to give us, or give our community an, an extra shot of uh, vitamin C and B12, you know, have another event. So two events per year we can possibly go to. This is a, a little bit broader spectrum, but still kind of focused thing because it's not just cocoa, but it's all things Radio Shack. So we should still have some common interests and have a lot of friends and a lot of camaraderie there. And it's the first event. So I, I'm in favor of supporting this event and hoping to make it successful and and successful enough where we can have future Tandy assemblies as well. So that's kind of my my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's 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 a matter of scheduling for work. And I mean, back when when Coco Fest switched to be an earlier run was at the end of March, beginning of April. I was in the middle of one of my two rush days at work. I I didn't make a Coco Fest for fifteen years because of that. Once they moved it back into late April, early May, I could start attending again. And unfortunately, Tandy assembly is at is the tail end of my other rush season, so I won't be able to make it given those mm. dates. It's it's not uh, a money issue. It's a I can't yeah just get work schedule. Work. Right, you, yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I that's... want to say that I am planning to be there. Good. Uh, however, my sister might have a, some different ideas. Uh, she's planning to get married sometime in October, but she hasn't. No, she's got. She day. has. She has plenty of time to reschedule that around Tandy Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bill tried that with his brother. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'll work. Priorities, people. <laughs> I had that same problem with my brother. Yeah. 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 So whatever I, gave him the idea to get married, you know, the weekend of Coco Fest. I mean, come yeah, on, come on. 
Come on. Or make it make it a joint event. It's Coco Fest slash wedding. Mazel tov. <laughs> so uh, well, that's cool. Well, I might we might as well have a wedding. We had a wake at one. A wake at a Coco Fest? Yeah. For a Coco or for a person? For a Coco. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh yeah, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to Tandy Assembly. I wish them all the luck in the world to have this inaugural event kick off and be successful. You know, I'm definitely going to do what I can try to do to support it and promote it and definitely attend. Um, you know, there's so many things you want to do. Uh, and again, you know, we all we have that we have we have the challenge of time. We have our careers, we have our lives, we have our families. So we have to manage our time and our our finances and our things like that. But if so, I would love to go to all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, VCF Midwest and, and Mid East and South North and in East Pacific and all these other events and the Southern Fried Gaming Guys. But there's so many events that are out there. I, I can't afford to go to them all. So let me be pacific and choose the ones that are nearest and dearest to me so yeah coco fest would definitely be on top of that list tandy assembly now too i mean i'm a former radio shack employee i owned coco's i owned tandy 1000s you know so it's near and dear to me so i have a, a much more vested interest a much more you know stronger emotional connection to these events um as well as just wanting to some support our you know our community members who are trying to do this too so these are going to be high on my list and high on my priority. Uh, Grant says, I'm planning on attending as well with his Tandy 1000 TL2 was his first non-Coco computer. Okay, Richard says, I'm going to be there too. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, so, it'll be kind I'd of cool like for to us go. to like represent. It's, it's yeah. not a matter of not wanting to go. Just we, would, we, would love that, we would love to have you. Um, one thing I don't see on there right now is, is the time slot for the Tandy Assembly Jam. And it's not going to be a jam without Curtis Boyle on his guitar, but you know, <laughs> you could try with Skype. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe if we can get Alan Huffman to show up or somebody else, um, you know, because yeah, uh, that was that to me that was another cool fringe benefit of coming to Coco Fest was doing this uh, rock and roll jam, something you don't expect to happen at a nerd convention, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that's been going on for decades. I mean, I was yeah, doing you know, in the 90s. yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, so hopefully we can still manage to do our first uh, our first ever. Um, t- uh, Tandy assembly jam session somehow so yeah but yeah we'll live stream it oh i got a new laptop too so i've ordered a new laptop i have it so i have a very high-end very high capable laptop so streaming future live events will be much more on par with what i'm doing with my desktop computer now too i mean this is a gaming laptop it's got an i7 processor high-end graphics chip usb 3.0 connections and all that kind of stuff so i can do now on the road what i do from home so future live um, streams will be definitely a higher caliber production and stuff too that was my biggest um uh, disappointment of coco fest was that my computer could barely handle driving the stream and you know i want to have multiple cameras so we can zoom in on the slideshows and all that kind of stuff so um look forward to a much better live stream from tandy assembly too but it's still a windows-based machine it's still a Windows-based machine, yes. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not going to put OS 9 on it. <laughs> Why not, Steve? It would yeah. be a big improvement. All right, so so I'm done I'm done running my big fat mouth. Anybody got anything they want to close with before we get out of here? Because my stomach's killing me right now. So. <laughs> now I think I'm all good. All right. Nick Morentes, thank you for being here, sir. We appreciate you. And uh, Rick Adams as well, thank you for being here. And Bill Noble and Bruce Moore from Canada and Curtis Boyle and his lovely salmon-colored shirt he's wearing today. 
David Ladd, looking lovely as always. John Strong, appreciate all of you stuff, all the stuff you do for us, and even especially when I remember your name. And Richard Lorbieski, did I get your name right, Richard? Uh, yes, you did. All right, good. I'm getting good at this. I see you haven't lost your crib card. <laughs> first time she got that right well, it's up on the screen here too so i'm looking at it, it says john strong right under his name so i do have some uh, cheat sheets with me so <laughs> did you see the pronunciation all, guide now you'll be all set yes in case yeah. you all missed it i picked on him because i wasn't mentioned last sunday so <laughs> that's what that's what it's all about here. it's uh that's what we yeah, his what response we was who are you <laughs> If we're we're good at picking on each other here, so that's a good thing. All right, thank yeah, you guys. For, thank I you. Know. Thank <laughs> is, uh, except for David Ladd, who we have the utmost respect for. Um, so uh, <laughs> Grant, personality, Dave. <laughs> uh, uh, Grant, we're glad to hear you're you're recovering. Fedor, thank you for being here. Ed Snyder, thank you for being here in chat. Thank you for uh, Ron Klein for stopping by earlier. And um, everybody else was in the chat. Alan uh, Zeiser was in the chat earlier. And uh, gosh, there's so much chat going on here. I got to make sure I capture all this too. Yes, yeah, so there was a lot. There was a lot of discussion. So I want to thank everybody who watched. Darren Grant, Mr. Tandy himself, thank you for being here. Um, and we're going to end this week's Coco Talk. We got plenty of more to talk. Echo Gamer just came in, and okay, whatever. All right, all right, guys. So we're done. Thank you for watching. We'll see you all next week on Coco Talk, and we might even have some um, speech sound pack emulation to display for you tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. Take care. Coco forever. Hashtag because Coco. Go <laughs> okay. Coco Nation. Go Coco Nation. Coco forever. <laughs> bye bye now. Hey, this is John Strong. Beep, bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> Blooper time. <laughs> You're watching the original gamer, CV Strong. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at cocotalk.live, where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes, as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Keep on cocoing. Coco forever. Have a Coco day. And bye-bye, everybody.